Hello there, welcome to episode 44 of True Cult Pop, uh, the pop music podcast. True. It's fair, isn't it? It's mm. pretty accurate, I suppose. I'll take um, that. It's me, Stephen Hill. I hope you're all right. I hope you're having a nice time. Appreciate you joining us once again on the podcast and joining me once again. You might have heard him backing up my opinion, not for the last time on this week's show. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> it is the one and only Mr. Gaz Jones. Gaz. S- sunshine. <laughs> yeah, Steve, do you, remember, do you remember a couple of weeks ago when we said we promised we weren't going to talk about the 90s for a while? Yes. Well, this was thrown into... Terrible, terrible chaos, chaos <laughs> by uh, just a just a mere tweet, um, which we will talk to you about in a minute. Because basically, this week uh, we're giving um, somebody a little right to reply. So we'll, we'll talk about it in a second. Before we do, before we do that, before I tell you what's happening on this show, it's a little bit different, a little bit of a feature length episode. Um, go over to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash true cult pop if you so wish and over there you can sign up for loads of exclusive extra content that we have coming up if you sign up for any amount of money this coming saturday you will be able to hear me and gaz talking about an absolutely barnstorming incredible genre defining generational classic record could have been a classic album could absolutely have been a classic album uh mad villainy by madlib and mf doom the 2004 collaboration between, I would say, two of hip-hop's finest minds, R.I.P. MF Doom, what a fucking legend. But, you know, as we get into Mad Lib, quite the guy as well. We just uh, just recorded yeah. that. What fucking, what a record that is. It's an Good. absolute scattershot feast for the ears. And, um, yeah, it's, it, I've, that's all I've been about over the past, like, five five six days just listening to that and absorbing it and just trying to come to terms with it it's it it it, it, it still sounds absolutely box fresh 19 years on which is quite an amazing feat for an album from a genre that doesn't particularly kind of date well production wise style wise you know lyric yeah. wise um everything's moving on kind of so quick or it certainly was moving on so quick in that genre so as it is again actually to be fair but yeah it's i mean as we get into it arguably sounds better and more current and fresher today than it does than it did even back then or that because i just think maybe yeah you know as again we'll get into when i heard it around the time i was just like what the fuck is this whereas now I know what it is, and it is brilliant. So, yeah, there you go. Go over and sign up for that. There's all kinds of podcasts over there. If you sign up for any amount of money and you can suggest an album or a film or a book or a song, probably won't do that. We'll probably just keep on doing albums unless you are very, very keen uh, on us doing something in particular. Um, if you sign up for the £5 a month tea, you get an extra two podcasts for that. Big podcast, massive podcast. Did the old Beginner's Guide to Entombed a couple of weeks ago. Come in this Wednesday. We're doing another classic album. Gaz has picked 1994's Purple by the Stone Temple Pilots. We're going back once again to the well of <laughs> 90s rock music. I can, <laughs> I, I can, I can only apologise to... Well, look, I think it's fine because... My mum... <laughs> yeah sure um I, I think it's fine because in this instance coming straight after it if you do sign up and you want to stick around 
We're going to be doing a beginner's guide to kill switch engage. That's yeah. got nothing to do with the 90s. We're going to be doing a classic album on Hounds of Love by Kate Bush. That's going to be the next mm. classic album. And we're going to be doing a beginner's guide, which we will be touching on the 90s on. Um, but amongst other things, a beginner's guide to Madonna. And this will be around the time <laughs> that I'll be going to see Madonna. So if you like yeah, yeah. ethereal 80s pop music, if you like crushing riff-driven anthemic metalcore, if you like um the 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 grunge era and one of the finest post grunge bands ever yeah. and if you just like the biggest pop bangers ever known to man we have you covered on each and every one of those things so uh all yeah. bases all bases all bases covered so yeah go over to patreon.com forward slash true cop pop now i'm not going to do any chat about any news this week we're not even going to pick a song we're not going to do any reviews i will say yes we'll we'll talk about lizzo next week if that's all right mm. that's not yeah that's not fun for anyone is it um but anyway we'll talk about lizzo next week um i did a feature for louder.com loudersound.com if you want to go over there and have a little look at it where i do some of my my work um a little format that they've got going on they call it 10 terrible something albums with one classic song i pitched this idea i was like look well, how about one album with like one standout song that's sort of how i pitched it. i didn't want it to be too negative but it's become quite negative and it was very popular it was the most popular story on the site for a little while because people okay. love to get annoyed don't they they love getting annoyed they don't read any of my well thought out articles that I work very very yeah. hard on, but they will, you know, they will, they'll go with the more kind of easy to just click through and get annoyed about. Who would have who would have thought a, the gatekeeping Britpop army would be really annoyed? Who would have, I know. Who would, who, would have, who would have thought that? Mad, isn't thought it? It? mad. I know, right? Uh, I couldn't I couldn't ever have foreseen that coming. Annoyingly, <laughs> I mean, maybe that's bad. <laughs> I got to write one about thrash. In a couple, of, in, I mean, <laughs> if you think fucking, if you think metalcore and Britpop fans are wow. angry, when I get to fucking slagging off Megadeth and Exodus and Testament, that's when shit's going to get really real, I think. But yeah. anyway, yeah. Um, you messaged me and you said, uh, "This guy, uh, Britpop Memories, has retweeted your uh, your feature." Mm. Furious, he was furious. So, Furman. Britpop. James, who runs the account Britpop Memories, and you follow him, and I've seen a few of his tweets before, and I'm always like, oh, that's nice. He's kind of bringing up a load of, you know, lovely, nostalgic looks at a load of music that both you and I really, really love, and it's a great time, as we've spoken before. Kel Surprise, we're talking about the 90s again. Um, but I saw that, and James is pretty outraged about some of my picks for this particular uh, list that I did. So I thought to myself, well, I could either do a really snarky shitty reply to him and say you're an idiot you don't know what you're talking about i'm right and we could have got into a big slanging match but i thought that's not very becoming is it that's not very nice really what you should do in these situations is have a proper conversation and go look you know there are nuances to all this this is why i think that's why i think that and of course that doesn't really lend itself very well to online online discourse that's not how that usually works, is it? It doesn't always end up that well. So we messaged James 
and said, would you like to come on and explain why you believe uh, I got this, this wrong? Talk about those albums. Talk about the time, the Britpop era, what's good about it, you know, what you love about it, why you're so inspired by it. And, um, and rather than, you know, when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade, is that the saying? I don't know. No, you put on beer here now, don't you? <laughs> put on beer now, yeah. When yeah. life gives you lemons, you put on the stone roses, is what you put on, actually, mate. No, uh, lemons, uh, yeah. See what I did there? It's yeah, good. Um, it's good. So we invited James to come and chat to us and talk about those particular albums. Also talk about, you know, his uh, his love of the genre and his passion of the genre. And, um, you know, uh, basically, at the end of it, we, we had a nice conversation about all these things. We don't necessarily see eye to eye on every single thing. But that's fine, isn't it? That's Everybody's absolutely, allowed to that's like what they that's like. That's absolutely fine. You know, I, 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 you know, absolutely disagreed with at least a couple of your choices. But you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're all still friends. We're still talking. You know, mm-hmm. it was just nice having a, a really good roundtable discussion. You know, and it, and it was the chat went much much better than I thought it would. That's would you agree? Know. Yeah, well, it went how I kind of thought it would go. Okay, be because I have, I, I, I have, I have faith that most people who are passionate about music just actually like talking about music. Yeah. I think when you get down to it, you sort of. Pick, I think most people, when they kind of, when the the people and the way that people speak to each other online, I don't think is a fair reflection as to how people would speak to you in real life. No, no, even that's if they're true. the most shittiest person. So I did think to myself, no, but you know, th- this is not going to be horrible. We're not going to be horrible to each other. That's just not really how people are in the real world. And fair uh, fucking, and fair fucking play to him for agreeing. Yeah, I'm, re- I'm really glad he came on. I'm really glad he came on. And I'd like to know if you agree or disagree with any of the picks, or if you think that the, the stuff that I say is fair, if you agree with what James has said is fair. And um, and uh, that's what you're about to hear. So fuck all this like preamble. Let's mm. chuck over to the two of us talking to James, aka Britpop Memories. All right, here we are. Uh, delighted to be joined by James, aka Britpop Memories from Twitter. How are you doing, James? Thank you so much for coming on the show. Much appreciated. Lovely. Hi, yeah, yeah, I'm good. Thanks, mate. Yeah, nice to see you in the in the flesh as such. Yeah, lovely. In the in the actual flesh, in the in the lovely, lovely flesh. So, um, mate, uh, obviously we are going to be talking. Um, as me and Gaz have a tendency to do. In fact, we actually promised our listeners that we would stop talking about the nineties for a little bit. We're and within really a week, sorry. within a week, yeah. we've gone back on our, our yeah. promise to not just fucking endlessly bang on about the nineties. But yeah. uh, I feel like we have a good excuse to do it this time. So, um, <laughs> mate, tell us a little bit about the Twitter account that you run and what kind of inspired you to to kind of to get to get it running in the first place. Um, yeah, great. So, uh, well, obviously, first thing to say is that um, until a better decade comes along, we'll carry on talking about the 90s because, you know, frankly, humanity peaked at that point and has been rapidly downhill ever since. Um, but, yeah, no, the, the Twitter account really started because I was just on Twitter and various social media, just looking up stuff, trying to find information about bands of the 90s and, and whatever. And I just really struggled. I mean, every time I typed in the word Britpop, into Twitter, I got very, very little other than the usual Blur versus Oasis, Pulp, Suede, etc. And I just thought, there's really not much on here. Why is no one talking about it? And I thought, well, if no one else is going to talk about it, I suppose I better talk about it. So I started the account, um, shared a few bits and pieces, uh, and then pretty much 
it sort of started pretty quick actually took me it was quicker than i expected and then i started i've got quite an archive of old enemies and melody makers and i just started um sharing bits and pieces out of that really kind of willy-nilly no real pattern to it um people seem to enjoy the content um and then yeah i just sort of thought well this this seems like it's quite popular around the same sort of time this is probably about seven years ago i think it is now uh, around that sort of time the whole brit pop revival thing started to, to ramp up a little bit people did talk about bands other than oasis and blur a little bit you know uh, and it just timed really nicely for me. And, and next thing I know, it's, it's sort of exploded and, and the whole Britpop revival's obviously got massive and, and here we are. Did you go to any of the recent um, big shows, the Blur show, the Pulp show? Uh, I went to Pulp at Finsbury, um, mm. but I didn't go to Blur. No, I, I thought about it. And then the price of the tickets, I had a bit of a temper tantrum and refused to pay it um, <laughs> because for the amount of money, to get anywhere near the front it was astronomical and having just bought pulp tickets i thought oh, i don't know i don't know if i can if i can warrant that so i'm now keeping my fingers crossed that maybe they'll actually do a proper tour and and do something so i can go to that i think i think they will i think they will i think they will i mean i mean i've constantly got my eye on twickets at the moment because i think i'm not sure when we're going to put this out but those two days of pulp at the apollo in london after going to the hell that was Finsbury Park, I, I need to see Pulp in a place where I can, you know, Up close have, a, have a drink and stuff like that. Jesus. The, the cost of the bar. I mean, yeah, the tickets were I didn't get anywhere up. near it, mate. I couldn't tell well, you what no, the cost was. One of my mates, else. just my mate Nick, just disappeared through uh, at some point and came back holding as many pints as he could get in his hands and bottles <laughs> of bloody wine. It's like, what the hell have you got there? <laughs> come back with some sort of shit wine in a plastic bottle it's like oh my god and we drank it you know because you know, he's polite when someone's yeah, bought it that 90 quid's worth of bottles of wine tucked under his arms and that that got Jesus. through him, but it was rash so, yeah bad bad um blow were great by the way uh sorry sorry to to, to rub that in. but, <laughs> but um uh so tell us about like you know when you first got into music what is, is it particularly about you think about that era and this particular music like when did you start getting into music what were your kind of first loves tell us about your kind of music taste broadly in general yeah okay so um so I mean, the first thing i think to say is that obviously as a kid i'm brought up on my parents lp collection which is my mum is all beatles and motown my dad is Rolling Stones, The Who, uh, Blondie, etc. So I, from a very young age, as soon as I could reach the record player, I was playing records and just fell in love with the concept of music. Um, and then when do I get into music properly? Probably, probably early 90s, probably around the time that Smells Like Teen Spirit and that sort of stuff comes out. I start to think, oh, hang on, there's music that like, maybe I can enjoy, you know, my parents aren't. You know, I'm buying, I'm going to have my own music taste. So, yeah, Nirvana's probably the first band where I sort of start taking a really serious interest in it. And then almost as soon as I've sort of got into that, all of a sudden, Britpop comes through in the background. You've got your suede, your, your blur, etc. Um, and then the moment that I usually sort of credit as being my, my entry point to, to the Britpop thing is on a Friday night, I used to stay at home and 
babysit my brother and sister when my parents went to the village pub. I used to watch The Word because they would never let me watch The Word otherwise. <laughs> so I used to sit there. And then that night in March, can't remember the exact date of it, Oasis play Supersonic. And I was just sort of sitting there, sort of blase, watching The Word, la, la, la. And these guys just come on. There's Liam with the, the cam, you know, the camera in his hand. The, the, it, the drums kick in. It, it's just like, it blows my mind. I'm sat there like, what the fuck is this? Mm-hmm. It was just a game changer. And then, of course, Monday morning on the school bus and at school, did you watch The Word on Friday? Did you watch The Word on Friday? Did you see that band? Who is that band? I don't know who they are. They were amazing. And it spirals from there. That, um, yeah, it explodes from that moment. We're buying the enemy, the melody maker. We're reading them in the classrooms, etc. It's, yeah, that that's the moment. Yeah, man. It was it was a good time. I mean, look, we're all. I'm I'm 43. Gaz is 46. We're we're all in our 40, 45. You cheeky 45. kids. 45. Sorry, mate. I'm 84 myself. 44. We're all in our 40s. 44. There we go. Early 40s. Um, early 40s. Yeah. Still early 40s. I'll take still, that. I'll take that. I go. It's still about 25 years too late to be annoyed that someone doesn't like to say music is you. To be honest, James. But we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, <laughs> uh, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was a fucking it was a hell of a time to be young and impressionable, particularly in Britain. Now, there's there's something um, that I kind of immediately want to touch on, and I think it is why is the Britpop revival happening now? Do you think? Because it definitely is, and I, I look at it and I sort of go, the climate in Britain in the mid '90s, and I think the reason why so much of Britpop worked is due to the fact that every day in Britain as a 14, 15 year old in the mid nineties, it felt like it was summery and the sun was out and we were about, we were, we were good at football and we were about to have a better government and we had a great film industry and all this yeah. stuff yeah. really kind of coalesced together to make these songs that are, you know, essentially British pop songs about these kind of aspirational, you know, kind of man, you know, just, kids having a good time songs the world isn't really like that anymore it's just not and so i find the kind of revival of people going ah let's you know let's listen to blur and oasis it's a weird thing to me it is a slightly it it almost feels kind of slightly out of step with society at the moment do you know what i mean yeah I, i think there's two things going on i think you've got um the fact that we are in our early 40s uh you know mortgages kids you know we've got money again we've got a little bit of our social life back because our kids are getting a bit older that sort of thing so we're at the age now where we want to just go out and enjoy ourselves again for the first time in a few years um and we we've missed you know however much culture on the way um so we're now sort of reliving our youth a little bit um and the bands have yeah have picked up on that have, have come back I think the other thing is that there's the Britpop revival is obviously mainly people our age. But if you look at um, the Liam Gallagher shows uh, at Finsbury, he's done, etc. The age range is is huge. There's a lot of really young people there. And I think a lot of youngsters are also. The 90s are mythical. I think the 90s are mythical to everyone. I think everyone thinks that it was the most amazing decade. And either you were there like we were. And we were young and, and carefree, etc. Or the youngsters now, I think, I think there's a lot of them. They want to experience it. 
like we probably wanted to experience the 60s because our parents had told us how amazing it was and the Beatles looked brilliant and, and all this stuff. And I think there's a lot of kids now also wanting to live the 90s. So the revival is giving them a, a, a revival of it as well. I think it's a two-pronged thing. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I've, I've said in the show before, there's a, there's a guy I used to work with who was like, we're going back sort of four or five years, who was 25 and he used to say to me, like, oh, I can't believe you saw Eric Cantona and I can't believe you were there when, you know, like like Biggie was, big, like Notorious B.I.G. was alive and all this sort of stuff. And, and they just, they fucking loved it. He loved it. And I always say, you know, I'd rather, when people go like you're old or whatever, I always say, you know, I'd rather have left the best party ever than currently be at quite an average party which is really harsh on like culture right now because obviously there's loads of <laughs> fucking great music that's being brought out all the time there's loads of stuff but yeah you know what i mean there there is great music around there are lots of new bands i mean lots of because because my account's so popular a lot of people new bands share me their music to try and get me to share it on and some of it's okay some of it's amazing i really enjoy some of it so yeah that there is music but what there isn't is there isn't the whole zeitgeist there isn't this big cultural thing going on. So Britpop, you know, Cool Britannia, I suppose, is the way to say it. You know, like you say, the film industry, the, the books, the the music, obviously, everything, the supermodels, you know, everything. It was all, it all, everything was together, wasn't it? London was like the coolest city in the world again for a short period of time. I mean, I think London's cool anyway, but it, it, it really came, like that Vanity Fair with Liam and Patsy Kensit on the Union Jack, et cetera. The whole thing was just, perfect and i just yeah we don't have that now so whilst we still have good bands there's still good films come out there isn't the whole package do you, do you kind of think that's because we live in this like cynical post tiktok kind of social media age yes why don't kids get so why aren't kids just full of that optimism that we had back then why do you think that is now i'm not sure is it because uh, everyone says it's because it, everything's too easy, isn't it? it? It's all laid out in front of you. If you've got a Spotify account, you've got the entire world's music pretty much in your yeah. pocket. Yeah. And you're not even probably bothering to listen to it. No. Um, yeah, most of it. Um, yeah. I, 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 think I think a lot of kids are really clued up about music. Yeah, I think yeah, it's yeah. hard. Oh, you know. Know, I think it's hard. I think, you know, there's, there is definitely an argument to say that Spotify has massively... Devalued, yeah, but... has devalued music mm. i think is 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 something but i think in terms of you know um i went to see uh i went to see dave last year at the o2 which i've spoken to you about and i think dave yeah. is the kind of he speaks to people in the, to, as far as i'm concerned he speaks to a group of young people in britain in the same way that you're in, in in a different medium but in the same way as somebody like damon Albarn would have spoken to us in 1994 it's just society is completely different now mm. he comes from a different background uh the the way in which people consume this stuff is is completely different but those kids were losing their fucking mind to dave like i felt old and weird being there to be perfectly <laughs> honest like and i probably looked really old and weird being there but you know i like to keep up with listening to new music and stuff but i was to me that was it was really 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 exciting to see that it's a completely different thing but it's like i say it i still think people are as passionate about music now as they were back then i just think 
we don't always get the chance to see it because there are no the, the, the kind of the idea of a sort of shared communal cultural thing that everybody sees you saw oasis on the word like if if oasis were on the on 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 terrestrial television on channel four at 11 o'clock at night now no one would see it you'd be streaming something you'd be looking at fucking yeah. tiktok on your phone you'd be like going you'd, sure. be, you'd be on your xbox you'd be doing something else you'd just be doing something else too many so distractions I just think it, there is a lot of distractions and i think not I think focused those... is it that's the thing yeah 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 it's, like you say it's so massive there's so many blogs there's so many social media accounts there's you know the music press was the enemy in the melody maker now there's a million blogs and a million websites all doing the same thing so it's very hard for it to all be focused in for you to to, to sort of be submersed in it and, and, and mm. enjoying it it's very it is very hard well that is a lovely segue into the reason that, that, we, got chatting, <laughs> that we got chatting to you actually i right, say how much i enjoy that website by the way <laughs> okay right so um james shared one of my articles um thank you for doing that james i appreciate you yeah, sharing one of my articles he didn't share the 2000 words um feature i did on this is hardcore by pulp and what an incredibly brilliantly underrated album it was didn't share the 2000 word article i did on unknown pleasures and joy division and what an incredible important record that was didn't do the white stripes uh, elephant or the big feature that i wrote on car usm playing glastonbury um didn't do the big write-up i did about urban hymns by the verb and what a classic album it is and everyone should listen to it and blah, blah 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 no you didn't share that did you james you shared um my hastily <laughs> penciled together um feature on 10 Britpop albums with one good song in it and um i believe the tweet you said was it is the worst thing that has ever been published by any website ever was that what you said i think i said something along the lines of yeah possibly the, the worst ever Britpop related article so bad it was comical or something i can't remember the exact okay. wording Okay. Well, I mean, do those lists and stuff, do they just sort of annoy you a little bit? Do you think they're of, of no real value? Because I did see somebody in the replies say, any writer who writes lists um, yeah. should be ashamed or whatever. And I'd like to say to that person, why don't you read my fucking pulp piece, you cunt? And then I wouldn't have to keep <laughs> writing these fucking lists. But anyway. Yeah. Valid, valid. The lists, the lists. I mean, I think the problem with the lists is they are opinions, aren't they? And everyone has an opinion. You know they're like arseholes as they say so and there's a lot of them and i think eventually you see the the, the 20th Britpop list that week you go oh fuck's sake what is this one right i'm gonna read it because i read everything that's Britpop related because i'm a complete sucker for it apart from my article about apart from this article which i'm sure is absolutely fantastic and i'm gonna read straight away after this but it um is. yeah <laughs> so no i just yeah I, and that one was just like it was I mean, it was a bit clickbaity. Let's, yeah, come on, be honest. It was a little bit clickbaity. Um, well, no, it's not, because I think you need to understand the actual dictionary definition of the word clickbait. Now, clickbait would be, you won't, but it, 10 times artists did this, you won't believe it, and then you click on it and it isn't that. The title was 10 Britpop albums with only one good song on it. Now, I'm, I'm going to say, bait. no, no, it's not bait. It, what, it, the, 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 you know, the, the premise of it, which is 10 albums with one standout song on it. That would be a better title for it, admittedly. But you're looking at 10 albums with one, you know. I mean, the thing is, there's a few caveats to some of my, my clicks. And I know it's a slightly provocative title. But within the copy of the article, there's plenty of caveats to it. Um, if 
you bothered people bothered to read it and i would imagine that at this point you know into your kind of adult years you sort of realized that oh this is a slightly provocative title even i knew as as i read it like i think even you know we'll talk about suede and stuff in a minute and i actually think there's i, I probably think there's more good songs than that than you do gaz that suede album but like yeah yeah right so <laughs> so the, so i think a lot of it is you know um yes the title is provocative but ultimately it delivered the thing that it said it was going to deliver and as we're about to discuss um you know i i i'm not sure there might there's one there's one that i'm going to massively backtrack on but i'm not going to backtrack that much on the majority of them to be honest but it was clickbait would be uh 10 times musicians turned into dogs and then it's just rod stewart's haircut like do you know what i mean like that <laughs> that's not what like it, it was the thing it, it, whether you agree with whether yeah whether you agree with it or not can't wait whether you agree with it or not it was the thing that it said it was and it's also interestingly my editor uh got hold of me and um merlin who people listening will know um was like well done mate it's the most clicked on article uh on the site and now a new metal one sprung up in its and they're going to do a load more of them so and then i went oh do you want me to write something about ocean rain back in the bunny went and they went no don't, don't do that, that. Do a list. Of, so you have literally facilitated this, James. You are part of the problem, unfortunately. You are literally part of the fucking problem. But anyway, thank you. Thank you for, for facilitating that. Um anyway, um so yeah, you thought it was you thought it was clickbait, the article, but it it, it rolled you up clearly. It did yeah, it did rile me up a little bit. I mean I, I am very protective of Britpop, as anyone who follows my account will probably realise that. I do like to stand up for Britpop and I do feel sometimes it gets unfairly bashed. Um, certain bands in particular take a bit of a pasting, which I, I do get very cross about. Bands like Ocean Colour Scene, Cooler Shaker, etc. So, yeah, so it, when I shared it, I was just like, oh, bloody hell, shared that off. And um, I mean, I, I wasn't like personally rude about you. I, I didn't comment on you at all. So I think that was that was good of me. Some of, some of the replies, some of the replies did, some of the replies did though. To be fair, I know that wasn't you. I know, I know you can't control what Pete. You know, when you post something on Twitter, it's out there in the ether, and any Tom, Dick, and Harry can reply. Obviously, yeah. I'm, I'm. There's the one reply was uh, somebody said, oh, because my little bio thing says, oh, he likes metal and hardcore. It says an expert in metal and hardcore. Maybe he's the wrong person to be writing this. And I thought, well, actually, I'm exactly the right person to be writing this. I fucking got Park Life the day it came out, pretty much. Like, I went to all these bands and saw them all back in the day. Just because you like other music, I think that's a, like that's something which, when you say about stuff being unfairly maligned, there is an unfortunate stereotype, I think, that goes along with the typical indie fan of shitting on other genres of music which is obviously for us as a podcast is the absolute antithesis of what we want to do i think yeah. you know you're right Britpop. there's a lot of Britpop bands who have been massively unfairly maligned and they you know those songs some of them are legendary classic brilliant songs but like every single genre in the world some of the stuff is good some of the stuff is not good i mean i would like to have sort of taken a positive spin on some of those things and gone you know at least gay dad did have one good song like we can admit they at least had one one good song yeah. one good song um but you know I, I for me it's like like if someone's an expert in italian football 
and then they go, I've written an article about Spanish football. You wouldn't go, oh, what an idiot. How the fuck could you ever know anything about that? <laughs> and me, like, knowing about, you know, napalm death doesn't mean I don't know about Shed 7. Do you know what I mean? I think that's a really weird, like, attitude. Yeah, no, no, fair enough. You, you probably have a, a wider, yeah, wider breadth of uh, musical knowledge than I did because I couldn't say anything about Napalm Death other than I know the name. So, okay, I wouldn't dare comment on new metal or anything like that. That's for sure. You must, mm. you, you must have seen Napalm when they're on Tier Five Friday, right? I, I yeah, I have seen. Yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, anyway, I mean, you know, look, it doesn't matter. It's happened now. We're all friends here. We're going to go on and we're going to talk through my picks and you're going to tell me where I got these things wrong. And I'm going to maybe give you a little bit of context uh, for where we go. I'm going to start. I'm not going to do it in the order that it came out in, but I'm going to start uh, by talking about the, the charlatans. So um, the album that I picked was Up To Our Hips. Uh, from the 21st of March, 1994. Now, Can't Get Out of Bed uh, was a song that I picked. I think it's a great song. I remember it being a chart at the time. I thought it was a really, really great song. Really great song. And I really liked the Charlottes. You know, I remember going to see them. I saw them on the, the Brits Week a couple of years ago, playing the now defunct Brooklyn Bowl in, uh, in Greenwich. And it was lovely seeing them in a tiny little room playing those you know fucking great legendary classic songs i think the last time i'd seen them before that was like would have been like headlining reading maybe it was a really mm. really long time and so seeing them in that small room it was great and tim burgess is obviously you know an absolute legend national treasure but these days a national treasure a national treasure yeah. um but for me kind of when i was first sort of getting into this music and having known a couple of the charlatan songs that had come out, I guess, prior to the massive Britpop boom. My problem with this record is, it's just not really what I want from a Charlatans album. Do you know what I mean? It's, I don't want the Charlatans to be messy. I feel like this album's a bit messy. It's a bit kind of all over the place. It's a bit kind of experimental in places where I wouldn't want it to be experimental. It kind of feels unfocused and i think it's lacking in tunes and when you've got a band you can write a song like as massive as one to another when you know that's in their locker there's not much of that on here and ultimately i applaud a band for trying something different but in this instance i just don't really think it worked out for me now i know i'm in the minority here because i know this is your favorite charlatan's album gaz it is my favorite charlatan's album I've always adored, always adored the Charlatans. I remember buying um, Some Friendly on the strength of, um, you know, obviously the only one I know. I remember that being on top of the pops and being everywhere. And obviously the, the follow-up single, Then, I adored. Um, I bought the second album uh, between 10th and 11th on the strength of Weirdo. There's some interesting stuff on that second album. I think it was, believe it was produced by Flood, the second album. Might well have been, yeah. Um, but for me, like, up to our hips is when the charlatans kind of got into that kind of stonesy kind of groove that they took to obviously much greater success with the following two albums the following two albums after this you know obviously the self-titled in 95 was the chart topper you know and telling stories was just one of those albums that everyone had but i think that's the start of them kind of writing that kind of stonesy kind of groove with stuff like jesus hairdo uh, i know I, um i never want an easy life with me and he were ever to get there um, obviously, yeah, can't get out of bed, but you know the stuff in there like um, where are we? Yeah, autograph, I love patrol. Um, 
uh, the Chemical Brothers did an amazing remix of Patrol. Uh, I think it was, it, yeah, that was on a bit. That was a B side, right? Is that right, James? Uh, I believe so. And it also goes on to the um, the Best of album, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, fantastic remix. remix. Now, interestingly, I say, I mean, I don't. I hate remixes. I absolutely mm. detest them. But that one is actually, I think, that's a remix that improves the song. Yeah, it does. Definitely. Definitely. I usually think they they just overwork them. But yeah. But that's interesting. Improving a song on this album. I generally think this is an absolute kind of lost nugget from that period. Obviously, you know, this comes out in 94 and they were viewed as yesterday's men in 94, which is mad to think considering, you know, virtually just over a year later, they had a chart topping album in the summer of Britpop in the summer of 95, the subtitled, you know, and, you know, songs like, um, what was a big single off there? Uh, just when you're thinking things over, wasn't it? Just looking and crashing in and stuff like that. But th- this album for me kind of sows the seeds of the sounds that they were going to take to like just astronomical success that ended up by the end of the 90s, they were fucking headlining, you know, one of the biggest festivals in the country. And they were fucking brilliant that year they headlined. They were amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of the best, one of the best headline. Well, was, it was one of the best Reading sets. Um, I saw, yeah. Over to you, James. <laughs> I think you, what you say, Gaz, is is right. I think I think this is the album where they sort of change from a. I don't like to use the word baggy because it sounds like a, it, it's a bit lazy in there. But that baggy Manchester sort of band, they then become they they're becoming the Britpop band that they will be, which I know upsets a lot of people because they don't like the charlatans be called Britpop. But I don't think you can argue that. That you know, by the time they're supporting Oasis at Nebworth and, and exactly. whatever, they are Britpop, and there is no doubt about it. I know Tim Burgess will come around my house and punch me in the face for <laughs> saying it, but sorry, Tim, you were a Britpop band yeah. at that point. Um, I when you saw the replies to the, to the post I made, I think the Charlatans' inclusion was the one that actually caused the most most upset. <laughs> there was a lot of replies about about that, and most of them came back with the same comment. What about Jesus Handy? What about Jesus Handy? What about Jesus Handy? What about Jesus Handy? Yeah, what about yeah, yeah? Well, because it's it's one of my top ten Charlatan singles. Is it I really? Do, it's got a wicked funky kind of sly guitar line in it. It's got the Hammond organ. It's got the, that wicked kind of shuffling drum beat that they were so good at. Um, you know, a wonderful kind of Burgess like was deadpan vocal performance. Um, big chorus and you shine like a star, shine like a genius. It's and you know, yes, it takes me back to being sixteen and drinking, you know, questionable cider, <laughs> you know, and uh, you know, you know, trying pathetically to roll joints for the first time and stuff like that. But um, I do generally think this is an absolutely fucking wonderful album. I really, really do. I mean, if if I was going to if if uh, okay, here's a question then. For well, this is more I guess for for me for me and James rather than you, Steve. Sorry, mate. But if you were to put a Charlatans album in this list, what would it be? Ooh, that's difficult, isn't it? I'm probably not such a big fan of 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 the very early stuff. So I I know. I know I get lynched by somebody. I would probably say maybe some friendly for me because it's not really my 
my style. Yeah. Do you know what? I'd actually agree with you. I, w- I would actually agree with you. I think the, the, the two all-time classic singles aside, it is a bit patchy. And the band finding their way. Yeah. But again, it's mad. that was a number one album. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I think... Yeah, I think it's just, I think this is just an album where the band, yeah, is, is finding its way. The, the two albums, the two or three albums, yeah, probably two albums that follow that are absolute classics. Yeah. yeah. And maybe this is just like the, the training ground for those two, um, yeah. which ends I up, think, like you say, you've, you've got Jesus Head, you've got um, I Never Want an Easy Life, Patrol, although it's improved by the Chemical Brothers. Um, yeah, it, it's good, there's good tracks on it. It's certainly not a, a one track. Um, only one song on the album has over a million streams on Spotify. That is the track, track that I picked. Can't get out of bed. One million one hundred ten thousand two hundred and sixty-five listens on Spotify. Jesus Hairdo is the second biggest it has. Five hundred twenty-four thousand four hundred forty-five. So it's nearly twice. Well, it is. It's more than twice as many listens for that particular song. Um, they have played. Can't get out of bed. I never want an easy life, and uh, if me and all that, <laughs> I'm not going to do the whole title. And Jesus <laughs> Hairdo, they have played, um, they have played those songs um, quite a lot. But then if you go down to the other songs played, like you know, um, by the Charlotte's from this album, another rider up in flames. They played it once, twice in 2018. Before that, they hadn't played it since 2010. Um, sure. Patrol, they've only played 16 times ever. They played it eight times in 2010. Once in 1995, seven times in 1994. Uh, Autograph, they've only played eight times ever. Again, they played it twice in 2014. Um, Up to our hips, nine times. Feel, feel Flow, seven times. Come Inside, number 21, twice. Inside Looking Out, once. So, yeah, you know, maybe three songs on this record. I mean, the band themselves aren't playing songs from this record. So I don't think you could say... Oh, what a classic. In fact, in terms of the Charlatans, um, the amount of times they play songs from this album, this is actually uh, the 10th. So fr- Some Friendly is their most popular album to play songs from. Telling Stories, Modern Nature, Between 10th and 11th, The Charlatans, Wonderland, You Cross My Path, Different Days, Us and Us Only, Up To Our Hips is the 10th most popular album of theirs, according to their set list. So I would argue even the band themselves don't think this is a particularly good album. Mm. I'm not in the ba- I'm not in the band though, am I? <laughs> well, that's fine. That's fine. Um, but you know, there is you know, one bit, clearly so, one song that has crossed over yeah, to yeah, more okay, people on this album, and that's yeah. the one that I picked, and none of the others have. And the band don't really play many songs from it. I don't think it's a particularly controversial choice to pick this record. You know, it didn't get reviewed brilliantly at the time. I no. mean, it's one thing that you guys both like it. I can understand that, and people yeah. like certain songs from it. I think you know, like you say, there's there's a couple of all right songs in it. Jesus hair, dude. Not don't really do much for me to be perfectly honest. Um, uh, uh, but you know, I think there's some songs that are perfectly fine in it. But I do think "Can't Get Out of Bed" is great. Like I think that is a, a, great, a yeah. really great song, and I would miss that in the Charlatans set list. I can't necessarily say I'd miss much else from it, um, which would be lucky because they don't really play anything from it. Hmm. So um, happy to concede that I was right on that one, guys. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no? Yeah. no. Okay. Just just me and Tim Burgess then. That's fine. Yeah. Um, I'll just I'll just stick with the band. Uh, all right, fine. Well, there you go. Yeah, like you know, I I started with that one because I knew it was your favourite, Gaz. And you know, thanks, mate. Um, 
it's it's a just a it's just like i say it's just not really when i think of the charlatans i don't think of this particular iteration and, and that particular sound i think the stuff that happens before has got a kind of a naive charm to it and it was kind of predates a lot of stuff getting popular when and that's cool and then i think they fucking nail bangers after this there are like absolute worldy bangers yeah coming. yeah but the the stuff that came after this it's all here on this album in its most embryonic form and that's what i love about it yeah that's fair that's what i love about it you know if I could distill all my fucking ramblings of the last 10 minutes into a sentence, that would be it. <laughs> okay, well, uh, let's go now and talk about Suede. Because I think, um, are Suede the... They're kind of thought of as like the definitive first proper breakthrough Britpop band. Fair or not fair? What do you reckon? Um, yeah, I, th- I think so. Um the start of Britpop is is contested a little bit. There's there's various theories. There's the there's the theory that Blur released pop scene and that's the sort of the, the starting gun. But I see that as a false a false start because then nothing really happens again until until Suede come along and 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 launch their careers. So for me, yeah, Suede would be the the, the sort of the first the first band of Britpop. Okay, cool. Um, the album we're talking about is Head Music from 1999. Um, what do you think of this record, James? So, yeah, so let's face facts. Let's let's say compared to the three that come before it, it's certainly nowhere near the, the strength of those. So um, if I was to try and rank rank Suede albums, I'd probably say Dogman Star is their best. Then I'd say probably coming up then the eponymous debut uh at that point yeah does does head music come in next possibly not because some of the later um you know the, the later reformed love the new one so the, the new, new one, one yeah autofiction yeah really great right yeah really great. yeah um so it's it, it's always going to suffer because it's not as good as the first three um the story being that um obviously drugs have got involved um you know there, there's problems in the band in terms of, of of the output because of you know brett not being really at the races all the time um but it's still got some absolutely cracking tracks on there i mean she's in fashion everything will flow indian strings which is a song i think that gets gets overlooked um by most you know, most casual fans. Um, and I have a guilty pleasure that I actually quite like the Elephant Man, which is totally ridiculous. I mean, it sounds terrible, but, <laughs> but I actually quite like it. It's a bit of fun. Um, so if, and if we're talking about, if we're talking about the the, the problematic album in, in the Suede back catalogue, we're talking about the next album that comes, which is A New Morning, which if you'd said that album, then I think we would have had a real, I would have really pushed to defend that. You would have. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't enjoy a new morning. No. I was going to say I, I, I didn't pick that because I was like, well, is there a good song in it? I'm not sure. Yeah, well, yeah, possibly. Obsessions, maybe is that is that the lead single from that one? I think that might be the only one that's going to give you. Yeah. 
you know, you you if yes, yeah, so if you'd done done that album, you'd say obsessions. Yes, I would probably go. Yeah, I, I can't argue that. But um, but I think head music has got a handful of a handful of decent tracks on it. I mean, to be perfectly honest with you, I agree. Actually, I think it, I think it does as well. I think electricity is probably the standout song on it for me. Hence, is why the one that I picked. I mean, I think weirdly, um, Savoir Faire, I think is is really good. And I'm looking at the amount of times that they've they've actually played that song. And I mean, it, it, it just doesn't, I mean, I, don't, I think they played, they played it 40 times ever. The last time was in 2003, which is kind of crazy because I mean, the, the songs they do play from this, Can't Get Enough, Everything Will Flow and She's In Fashion. Mm. Um, and Electricity, they've done, which you know, is the one I picked. I think it looks like they did it in 2021. They did it once. Um, and it's been a long time since they've done it since then. So again, a bit like the Charlatans, they don't seem to pick too much stuff in the set list from this record. But I actually think there's a few, I was a little bit like, you know, I think She's in Fashion is a song that I remember hearing and thinking this is just, it's it's a not as good version of the stuff from the previous album. I think Coming Up is, is brilliant. Absolutely. I, like, I love it. It just, you know, Suede weren't a band that spoke to me straight away and it took until they got those really kind of clean glammy bangers like when they made those proper huge sounding glammy massive stadium sized bangers i was like that's the band i like and so i'm more than happy for them to kind of continue to do that and i think again you know it feels a little bit like the law of diminishing returns a bit on this record overall i think there's probably four songs on this record that I think are that I think are pretty good, and I would be more than happy for them to carry on playing. But I just couldn't find anything on the next album <laughs> that, that was even worth mentioning, so it just sort of went in. Um, but for me, Electricity is the is probably the only time they really nail just the huge that kind of T Rex Roxy music like strutting massive glam sound of of the of the previous album and and make it sound as like monolithically huge as it did on the previous album this album just feels a little bit just a little bit slighter just a little bit smaller just a little bit more i don't know even slightly apologetic i, I don't know you know even with like she's in fashion it just doesn't it it's not as bright it, it comes a bit late as well so 1999 that's three three years since coming up yeah. uh brit pop basically sort of petered out by this point um you know people have moved on a bit people are looking for a new thing suede then come back maybe yeah maybe they maybe they came back a year late they come back a bit earlier it, it, yeah my, my i mean theory, the 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 tide has turned at this point hasn't yeah. It? yeah yeah you know. so i i i would say Britpop ends in about September '98, as the final single comes off, this is hardcore. So that that album cycle for me is the closer. Uh, therefore, the final single off that album cycle, therefore, you can use as the as the stop. So yeah, early September '98 is where I finish Britpop. I know a lot of people will say it's earlier than that; they'll go '97. But I'd 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 go a little later than that. I'd say ultrasound when ultrasound released everything picture. That that for <laughs> me was kind of niche, isn't it? Niche. 
Well, yeah, it shouldn't have been. It should have been fucking huge. That album is. You know, I, 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 I still quite like. It. I bought the um, I bought the vinyl issue of it a couple of, a couple of years ago. Lovely little box set. Um, but yeah, that that to me was was when it was like, nah, I think we're done here. You know, unfortunately. No, so I, yeah, I think I think I think yeah, that album, the suede, it just just comes just a little bit too late. But interesting. I mean, I would say coming up, however, is almost the perfect Britpop album. So a lot of people, again, because I get asked these sort of questions again and again by people online. Oh, what do you think's like the ultimate Britpop album? And it's like, oh my God, how am I going to answer that? Shine, shine, it's Shine 4, isn't it, obviously? So you are. Of course it is. Or Best of Shine. Exactly. <laughs> um, I think coming up as a sound, like you're just saying about all the, the glam stomp of it and the T-Rex and everything that, I think that is, and it's so bright and it's so crisp and it's so sharp and in your face. That just sort of sums up Britpop, really, for me. Dogman yeah, Star is obviously darker and broodier and probably more complex um, and de- therefore doesn't really fit the Britpop mould so well. Coming up, however, does. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a decent shout, actually. I think that is good. It's got kind of all the stuff that you want from this very kind of cool aspirational music i'm bang into it um but head music not so much to be honest is that a ridiculous pick is that an insane thing to say i can no i i, I understand why you choose that album and I, I think you probably would get quite a lot of agreement from various people in the Britpop world for me i think there's just like i think there's probably three or four decent tracks so for your particular list i think it wasn't quite the right album I think I mentioned a couple of the ones that said that are, are all right as well. So did cover my ass, but then <laughs> no one reads it. They just click on it, scroll down, get angry and fuck off again. So um, <laughs> let's move on to a band, uh, the the biggest band, clearly, in Britpop by a fucking mile. We've already spoken about it. Uh, Oasis and Standing on the Shoulder of Giants by Oasis, the, uh, the fourth Oasis album from February the 28th. 2000 i went for go let it out as the good song on this record although i did add the caveat that fucking in the bushes although it's not strict i I said it's not really a song it is a song but it's still great whatever it's still like those two together they're fucking they're very good very very good um a few little stats before we get into it first they've only ever played seven songs from this album uh go let it out was usually in the set the second most played song is gas panic and they didn't play gas panic after 2002 um on spotify fucking in the bushes is the the biggest song on this record 25 million plays uh that would make it the ninth most popular song on definitely maybe on spotify and the 10th most popular song on Morning Glory. It would actually be the fifth most popular song on Be Here Now and the fourth most popular song on Don't Believe the Truth. This album also has Little James on it. So um, <laughs> make of make of that what you will. Uh, I think this is, I, I, I know Oasis are a band that people love a lot and I understand it, but this album's not good, is it? First thing I have to say is, technically, this album is far too late to be included in the Britpop movement. So, you know, let's. I, I'm being late. pedantic, maybe. I mean, it's a Britpop I mean, band, but is it a Britpop band? Yeah, but you know, g- g- 
in that in that Kent in that sense, I still class Suede's most recent album as a Britpop album because they're a Britpop band. This is the problem, isn't it? Is it a Britpop album or is is it just an album by a Britpop band? I don't know. It's we won't get into that argument. It's not worth it. But well, I, I think it's like it's a, it's definitely an interesting thing. Like so, for example, um, would you call if you're doing this list about like punk or something, right? Would you like so Black Flag? a massive massive hardcore band and if you're doing that if you picked my war as one of the great hardcore albums does that fit in there do you know what i mean like does does that album fit in there with all the kind of oh it's not really this it's not really that they're such an integral part of that scene that for me it kind of has to it doesn't matter what else they do they're intrinsically linked to it forever regardless of whatever else they do it kind of yeah you know the complication with Britpop is <sighs> Britpop's not a style of music. It's not a genre. It's it's a it's a cultural movement that that occurs in a in a time time scale. I mean, Oasis are a rock band, I suppose you might say. You know, Suede are you know sort of like a, a glam indie band. Um, they they all fall under Britpop, under the umbrella of Britpop. Um, within that, like I say, the time scale. 1993 to 1998 in my particular reckoning um so it's it's hard oasis are still a brit pop band but if they release an album this week it's not a brit pop album if you see what i mean that's what i'm you know brit pop revival album yeah, sorry would it be a brit pop revival album would you say <sighs> mm, interesting yeah i mean Obviously, yeah, because I mean, Suede, Shed Seven, um, you know, people like that are releasing albums. Are they? Are they Britpop revival albums? We're in a Britpop revival. I mean, yes, you could call it that, I suppose. And then that's kind of a subgenre of a subgenre of a subgenre. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and then, yeah. So I mean, I don't know. Basically, we had to pick a big band. The edit, the guy as the editor was like, "Can you put a great? Can you put the Great Escape in there?" And I was like, "No, I'm not putting the fucking Great Escape in there. No, I'm not doing, doing that. that." Yeah, I was like, "I'm not putting the Great Escape in there. Definitely not." So I put my foot down there. But yeah, I was like, you know, what's the Oasis album for me? And again, I think the kind of the stats back it up. It's it's the it's the worst Oasis album. It's yeah. I think it is the weakest album. I still like it as an album. I, I like I like it overall, but against standing up against the other other albums, yes, it will be it will be the weakest. Um, so in terms of tracks on it, "Don't Let It Out" is, is is the strongest song I would say. Although for me, "Gas Panic" is is pretty much neck and neck with it. "Gas Panic" is an absolutely fantastic song and it, but when you hear them on the familiar to millions album and i was there that day that version of gas panic is just mind-blowing and it suddenly becomes something else when it's 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 so atmospheric and it's the story of of noel gallagher trying to get off cocaine and, and what on earth's going on in his head when that happens um what tongueless ghost of sin crept through my curtains it's it's pretty dark. It's not exactly an Oasis song, really. Gas Panic. It's it's not quite their normal their normal thing. Um, but I think that I think that that song should be right at the top of of any of any Oasis. Not not the not their best song, but at the top table of any of any Oasis chart, 
Um, Sunday morning. You pick, the, you pick the live version. I pick the live. Yeah, I probably so well. It, both versions are great, but once you've heard the live version, the the version on the album just lacks a little something because when that period of time where Oasis played Wembley Stadium, you know, the year two thousand, whatever. It's an interesting time because at that point, Noel and Liam have pretty much that. That's really the start of the of the serious deterioration in in the relationship. You've got Andy Bell and, and Gemrin, who are fantastic musicians. You've still got Alan White on drums. That band is probably musically their peak, the peak period. Liam's absolutely snarling. He's he hates Noel, but he but he loves Noel. You know, and when they play Gas Panic at Wembley, just something magical. Like there's a crackling in the air of something absolutely magical. Um, so, but there. So when you therefore, yeah, when you go back and hear it again on the album, you think, like, it's a great song, but it's not the familiar to millions great song. Yeah. What do you reckon this one, Gaz? Um, I mean, I don't, I don't think, I don't think it's uh, the worst Oasis album. I mean, the worst Oasis sound for me is Dig Out Your Soul. That would be my second worst. Yeah, patchy. It's it, it, it's patchy. I, you know, I think I think I think Dig Out Your Soul does have one good song on. That was that was the 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 lead off single Shock of the Lightning. The Shock of the Lightning is great. Shock of the Lightning is brilliant. Yeah. It, it, you know, that is a genuine good song. I I don't know. I I'll always have a little kind of soft spot for for standing on the shoulder of giants. There is there are some of like James was, you know, the highs are great. You know, fucking in the bushes is an amazing way for the album to open. It's a brilliant way. It was their walk on music. It was, it just worked. It was fucking great. Yeah, and the way she's in snatch as well. I think that's that might be another reason why it's it's the most streamed song off that album. Um, obviously, straight into go let it out. Go let it out is 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 wonderful. I know Noel fucking hates it. The video is fucking awful, but whatever. <laughs> you know, the, the, it's it's just something about it. It it it's a brilliantly written. Classic Noel bit of fucking gobbledygook, but it just works. It's just you know fish. But by the time it gets to the bit where he blows the whistle, you know it, it's it, it's it's wonderful. You know, gas panic. Gas panic is yeah, is is it is it is a bit you know, it, it's kind of hard to find deep cuts in in an Oasis back catalogue, but that's one of the best deep cuts really. Uh, but you know. There's a lot of guff on this album, man. You know, uh, I can see a liar. It's Sunday that, morning call. Terrible. Sunday that's morning terrible. call. Where did it all go wrong? You know, little James. Um, roll it over is okay. You know, is it as good an album closer as? I mean, fuck me. You know what I mean? It's getting better, man. Or champagne supernova? Do you know what I mean? No, God. I no. like Sunday morning call, but I, I think uh, I like the bit where the where, the, where it suddenly kicks in and Noel plays the solo or whoever plays the solo. I don't know. When it kicks into that chorus, though, I still think, keep on thinking they're going to break into the Bee Gees. It's only words. Words <laughs> are all I have. Well, that's fucking you know. ruined Oasis. There you go. Sorry, mate. Good night. <laughs> I, I think the problem, I think the, he's got the same problem on this album that he had on Be Here Now, where some of the songs are very long. I mean, Gas Panic is a long song and actually works. Yeah, it does but work. Yeah. Sunday morning call and who feels love? Who feels love's nearly six minutes long. It's not doing anything. It's no. just going on forever. And he, mm. he didn't learn the lesson from be here now, obviously. Probably because he's still coked up to his tits. 
<laughs> you know, it's it's like you know, and he'll admit that. He'll admit that he probably makes these songs too long. Um, if he'd shaved off some of the some of the, the guff out of yeah. who feels of etc., I think much stronger. And little James, yeah. oh, I'll have to comment on it, won't I? Because it's it's mm. the song in the Oasis back catalogue that causes the most amusement. <laughs> I quite like it. I, it's it, the, the okay. Come on, man. Oh, no, I can't. I, I, I can't have that. Was it he, he, he has toys even though they make noise? And mm. the, Yeah, the, the lyrics are daft. But the, the, the structure, the, the chord structure, the, the song, the actual song is actually not bad musically. I think it's just Liam's gibberish lyrics over the top really spoil it and becomes a bit of a joke. But it's, it's where it's his first ever song, and Noel said that the story goes that Noel listens to it and goes, "Yeah, you can put it on the album, son." Knowing that he's going to get absolutely mocked for it, <laughs> he's like he stitched mm. him up there. He's like, "Yeah, yeah, you can have a song on the on the album. Of course, you can have little James on there. Good luck to you, mate. Well done." Well, like, to be I fair, mean, you know, he, he sorry, go on, Steve. Well, no, I was going to say. I mean, if, if <laughs> people again who've listened will know. Uh, the people who shouldn't be writing songs writing songs about their kids brandon by motley Crue. I yeah think it's oh. the worst song ever created by yeah, any human being terrible in history tommy lee doing a piano ballad about his fucking kid oh, i cannot yeah. think of anything worse than no. that so little, little james is better than that <laughs> it's got that it's not the worst song ever written about your child <laughs> that's something isn't it isn't it yeah isn't it? it's as nice as i can be about that song i think mm. i don't know man i just think that and also you know there's a couple of times i'm going to say this if if five years earlier you're releasing what's the story morning glory and you're coming out with this yeah but by, by, you, the, but by this you point you deserve there was, every fucking uh, yeah i mean barb coming to you i'm afraid i can totally get why people think this album is horseshit i you know but by this point they were so they were so fucking big that part of me thinks that Noel did stop kind of caring and put old any old shit out. And like he always said, you know, when he was writing those bulletproof fucking B-sides in 95, acquiesce and the master plan. I mean, for fuck's sake, he always said, if only I'd, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing. Why didn't I keep these songs? But for, you know what? You know. The fact that they're B-sides, that's part of the story of Oasis. You- yeah, no, compl- no, incredible no, I, story, isn't I, it? I, I, I love, you know, I, I, I love that, and I, I, I do, I, you know, the excitement of knowing there was going to be an Oasis, a new Oasis single coming out that you knew would have three brand new songs they on were it. Like EPs, weren't they? Yeah, they what? were. You know, they were long enough. I mean, Christ's like, cigarettes and alcohol singles, best part of half an hour long because it's got that twelve minute version of like, the Wars. Yeah, 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 you know. Yeah. But and it was, it, it was a wonderful thing, you know. You, you know. Trying to explain to I try and explain to my son what a B side was, and it's just like pff, whatever. Can I just go back and play online? You know, can, can we go down to skate park, please? Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, I I don't know the the drop off in, in quality. From I mean, and I, I will. I know this isn't the right podcast to do it, but I will defend Be Here Now to the fucking hilt. I will die on that hill. I think it's a fucking great album. Right. I quite like it. Yeah. But the drop off in quality from there onwards, you know, even even quite a few of the B sides on Be Here Now were great, you know, Going Nowhere and, and Flashback to Fame's a great song, stuff like that. But I think, um, ironically enough, like a lot of the songs that were left off 
um, standing on the shoulder of giants that became the B-sides at the time were actually better than a lot of the songs on the album. Mm. I couldn't tell you. I think I checked out at that point after I heard them, to be honest. So, Fair. you know, I couldn't Fair. even tell you. But, you know. The B-sides, yeah, but the, the B-sides dip in quality as well at that point, yeah. Yeah, the whole, no, the the whole thing, thing did. did. The, whole, the, whole, the whole, but they were so big by this point, it really didn't matter. It really didn't matter. You know, they'd been away for three years. And like we said, that, you know, you say Britpop died in 98. I say 99, right? This album comes out in 2000. 99, Suede had released a, quite a poor album, right? That was certainly nowhere near to the standard of coming up and stuff like that, right? Oasis come back in in 2000 with a not great album and could still do two nights at Wembley Stadium at the drop of a fucking hat. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. They were so fucking big, it really didn't matter about the quality. But unfortunately, I, I do think maybe some people were kind of i don't know either either blinded by it or or, or just kind of didn't care or were almost too scared to admit that there was a drop off in quality i will put my hand up and i desperately wanted to like standing on the shoulder of giants a lot more than i did i tried to kid myself it was another classic oasis album and i don't think it's a classic oasis album at all there are moments there are moments, but the drop-off in quality in those three years since Be Here Now was fucking huge. The follow-up album was great. I love... Um, what was the album? Uh, yeah, the one that's got uh, Hindu Times on it. I think that's a really good album. That's a good album. Not because much, at that point, much stronger Andy than this. But, fully, you know. Know, like, Game and Andy are fully involved. They're they writing. Yeah. And it's taking the pressure off Noel because I think Noel's burnt out a bit and he's probably absolutely you know the well was dry, dry yeah he's dried the well so at that point gem and gem and andy can can sort of start to, to yeah. boost the numbers a bit yeah i mean I, I i think you know don't believe the truth is probably the only post be here now oasis album that i'm really kind of would go to bat for to be perfectly honest but okay. you know um interesting uh speaking of holding material back Let's move on to the next band that we're talking about. Mm. Ocean Colour Scene. Oh, what a band. Ocean Colour Scene. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's not get so excited, James. I'm excited. <laughs> Ocean Colour Scene. Oh. The, the third Ocean Colour Scene album. Um, the follow-up to the hugely successful Molesy Shoals record, which is a great record. Um, um, no, these... I'm, not, I'm not even that. You don't think it's a great record? No, I think it's the ultimate... It, it was yet another con where the first single was so strong with the Riverboat song, right? We all fucking love the Riverboat song. Go to anyone of certain vintage, you go, da-da-da-da, and everyone will be like, oh, TFR Friday, you know. But I bought Mosley Shoals, man, as did a lot of people that I was at college with. Not having it. I think it's... I think, I think it's... I think it's a poor facsimile of... of Stuff that Weller was doing a lot better, and it just brought in the era of dad rock, unfortunately. Oh, Jesus Christ. Well, here's, here's, here's a midpoint. Sorry, right? mate. He uh, sits back in his chair. I think most. <laughs> that wasn't deliberate, by the way. I've just, got I've just got a bad back, sorry. <laughs> I, <laughs> I like the multi shows a lot. I think you're being quite harsh there, guys. Actually, I think they, when you look at that opening run of the first four on the Mosey Shoals Riverboat song David Cook Train Circle Line Your Pockets I'm not having the circle oh come oh, on man no. we have a circle no 
Nah. Great song. Nah. I think there's some Boring. really good. I think there's some really just very, very you, good. I mean, you, yeah, look. You got it bad, uh, was all right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think there's, a, there's, you know, it's a, this is a good album. I wanted them to do more kind of up-tempo stuff, like the Riverboat song. And I didn't want these kind of maudlin, kind of faux, folky kind of ballads or, you know, trying to write a beat. You know, obviously everyone was trying to write a Beatles song. I mean, you know, to be fair, at the time I did like Day We Caught the Train, but then so did everyone. And it's, it's box A. It's in there. <laughs> no, fuck it. No. Box A, never um, again, please. But anyway, I think it's pretty good that record. You know, I think it is. A, I think it's a, well, not even pretty good. I do. I liked it. I remember at the time really liking it. I got a lot of nostalgic love for the Molesy Shoals. Remember seeing them at Glastonbury '97, subbing Radiohead on the yeah. Pyramid stage. Imagine that. That's how big they were on the back of that album. They, they were, were huge. Big. They were huge. They were really big. And this album got to number one. Martin already got to number one as well. Yeah. And um, I picked 100 Mile High City. Again, right. Purely because I think the stats immediately, I'm going to go straight for the Spotify stats. 14,664,572 streams of that song. And the, the next one is Better Day, which has 5,580,030. So it's nearly 10 million more streams than the second biggest song on this record, which would lead me to suggest. I mean, I know Lockstock probably played quite a big part in that, but that would lead me to, to suggest that really it is the standout song quite it's comfortably. The best song they ever wrote. Record. Best song it's they up ever there, wrote. Yeah. I, I think, think it's, so. yeah. Yeah, I think Wonderful. it's good. 100 Mile City is incredible. Mm. Um, this album is material, I believe, left over from the sessions of the previous album. Uh, got one out of five in The Guardian. Two out of five in the list. Six out of ten in the enemy. Two out of five in select. Two out of five in Vox magazine. So God, was Vox still going in 1997? Jesus. Just yeah, yeah. So, on its last legs. Wow, so Vox, blimey. Let, let's be real here. The world agrees with me, right? Like, <laughs> the, the world does agree with me. The majority of people <laughs> on planet Earth are on my side with this album, I, I think, because it was badly reviewed. The album that comes afterwards, there's quite a big drop off in the chart position, which tends to happen when people buy an album by a band that they think is going to be great and it, they don't care for it much. And the one big song from it is comfortably the biggest song on the album on streaming services and the only album, that, the only song that people listen to really from the album. Um, And ultimately, I think it's because this is stuff that was sort of left over from the last record that they didn't use. And I think it sort of sounds like it as well. James? Well, oh, bloody hell. Um, I guess, I think, that, I think that, again, this is another album in that list that would have caused quite a lot of upset because Ocean Colour Scene fans, of which I am a pretty diehard one, mm. we take a battering every week on twitter we are mocked we are ridiculed we are attacked we are you know oh it's dead rock oh it's it's like it's boring oh it's uh, is it i feel i don't know what ocean color scene did wrong i suspect they pissed off the wrong person at the enemy uh, and they certainly pissed off the middle i mean the melody maker wouldn't even review most of their material they wouldn't no. even have them in the paper i remember um, that at the time yeah enemy enemy you know 
turned on six them. out of ten is not the worst like review i think that's quite a fair score for this album six out of ten in the enemy it doesn't feel like no, that I mean, yeah, that's, yeah that, but that's uh, but i think it's better than six out of ten but i i guess it depends who reviewed it but um the enemy did they did turn on Notion Colors. So yeah, they did turn on them. Let's say Melody Maker never liked them in the first place and absolutely detested them. And I think the problem is there's there's two issues with Ocean Colors. They're in Birmingham for a start. They're in Birmingham and they refuse to come to London and hang around in Camden Town drinking of Elastica. So that instantly, that annoys the weekly music press because they're like, well, hang on, you should be in the good mixes. I can have a pint with you. We can chat about this, that and the other. And they're like, no, we live in Birmingham. Piss off, and they stay in Birmingham. Um, so that, that that makes them outcast instantly. Um, the other problem is they're just incredibly talented. They are the four of them. The original lineup: you've got Oscar Harrison, who's a fucking amazing drummer. <laughs> you've got Damon Chaylor, who his bass lines are just mind blowing. He He's, if you listen to Damon Shader's bass lines in those first few albums, his fingers, are, the speed of bass line is incredible. And we all know that Steve Craddock is one of the finest guitarists of his generation, and I don't think anyone's going to argue that. No, you know, he's, 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 he's one, he is great. He's and great. he's getting better. I mean, he's one of those players that gets better. I mean, the fact that Weller keeps him in his band and has done all these years, and he's the only person who's managed to survive. Says a lot, doesn't it, really? Says a lot, doesn't mm. it, yeah. He's yeah. basically Weller's right-hand man. And it makes you wonder, what does Weller need him for? You know, what is it that's so special about him? Um, and then you've got Simon Fowler, who is this incredible wordsmith and who has an angelic, but also soulful, powerful singing voice. So you've got these four guys who are absolutely top of their game and they go against everything that the enemy journalists like because the enemy journalists are old punk fans generally they they like loud spiky guitars they like the, the punky sort of stuff ocean color scene don't fit that they do they come along they, they only they get instantly successful because of tfi friday and chris evans playing on the on the breakfast show so there's probably a bit of a feeling that they've had this unfair advantage and the door opened for them um they already of course have had the first album which is much overlooked and forgotten now on, on the fontana label yeah which where they were basically forced by the band sorry by the label to try and make a baggy album well they're not a baggy band so why on earth are you making these folky mod northern soul lads make a baggy record so the poor sods have been stitched up once they then come back with the proper music that they want to make and everyone's like oh you're sold out you're making like dad rock it's like no that's the music they want to make they you know they weren't a baggy band um and they've just had a really a really bad bad time over frankly um so getting on to getting on to marching already so obviously i mean i'm not going to argue that 100 mile high city is that is the best song on the album i don't think anyone's anyone's going to argue that really but the first three tracks you've got better day and traveler's tune next up well if you go to an ocean color scene gig those are absolute, the, the fans love them. These are the songs that just absolutely resonate with the fan base. Um, other strong, you've got Get Blown Away, which is possibly Ocean Colors, one of Ocean Colors' greatest tracks. 
Um, but again, no one really knows it outside the fan base because it's a, a deep cut as such. Um, and then you've, you know, there's another one which probably causes a lot of a lot of outpouring of love in the Ocean Coliseum fan base, which is Foxy's Folks Face, the little ditty that that the Mumford and Sons one, <laughs> the, the, the Mumford and Sons one. one. <laughs> 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 maybe he maybe he invented Mumford and Sons by mistake there, but yeah. Oh, so it's his so it's his fault then. Yeah, right. he writes that as a kid. Basically, he, he wrote that as a, as a kid in his bedroom, and then he and then gets told by the rest of the band at some point you should play that song as a great little ditty and again it's it's much loved by the fans <sighs> I, they do get and like i say they get unfairly battered far too regularly for my liking and i don't i don't like it well okay i mean look i'm definitely not bashing ocean color scene as a band because i think the multi shows is i'm not like gaz i actually think it's a really great live i have a lot of fucking fantastic memories attached to that record and i don't have a problem with a band doing kind of retro bluesy rock like you say kind of that that kind of bluesy rock stuff at, at all um it's just when i listen to this for me i mean when you when you talked about foxy folk face i was like i i'm kind of shocked that people think that that is like some kind of classic from their back catalog because I think it's comfortably the worst thing on a record which kind of plods around. And I just think, you know, like for me, the Black Crows exist. Do you know what I mean? Like the Black Crows, there you got their whole back catalogue on Spotify there. Paul Weller, Paul Weller exists. Paul Weller exists. Right? <laughs> and, and, and I just think that like, if I'm going to listen to something which is a kind of, like a, a retread of great music, you know, that like the, the, the faces and, you know, they're kind of that, that kind of birdsy kinksy and the, you know, you say that Northern soul stuff that they bring in there, like brilliant, like great, great. And I, I'm not saying that bands shouldn't try and do that, but when bands do try and kind of retread that ground, I think they have to, like for me, they have to do it with a significant amount of energy. And I just feel like this album, it just lacks energy in comparison with like, go and stick on, um, uh, uh, Southern Harmony and the Musical Companion by the Black Crows and then put this on and tell me which one is like electrifying you know those kind of gospel those southern fried gospel laments those kind of like elegiac soaring Chris Robinson vocals those like cutting incredible Rich Robinson solos those brilliant Hammond organs all over it and then whack on Foxy Folk Face like a fucking Mumford and Sons song from 20 years prior. And it's not Ocean Colour Scene, the band, that is the problem, like in terms of what they're trying to do. On this album, it's very much the delivery of that. And I think it says quite, a, you know, it, it's quite telling that these were the songs that they had left over from the previous album, because I think the previous album is really good. This feels a little bit like, feels like Reload by Metallica. Do you know what I mean? You know when Load came out and I was like, this is great. And then Reload came out and I'm like, ah, oh, it's got two good songs in it. Yeah. <laughs> because that was all they had like a year later and that's that's all they had left. And I think that, th like, this is not, I don't think this is a, a a problem that is unique to Ocean Colour Scene to kind of go, we should cash in on, you know, we should get the next album out quickly and just use the material we've got or oh, it's not quite as good. I don't think that's a unique problem, but I think it's unfortunately, you know, a problem that 
because 100 mile high city just fucking roars out at you and yeah. is brilliant everything else seems just a bit tired again you know it just seems a little bit tired to me i think this this album is i think that the debut album is a steve craddock album um i think this album is a simon fowler album and simon fowler is very much self-confessed folky um you know fairpoint uh, fairport convention is his favorite band i believe mm. um whereas craddock is your is your small faces you know, that sort of guy so i think yeah i think i think mostly shoals is a craddock album this is more of a more of a simon fowler album um so i don't i don't i think they've got i think they've done what they wanted to do with this album i think that's that's probably the way they wanted to go they've chucked in a couple of couple of bangers so you've got 100 mile high city like say you've got get blown away halfway down the halfway down the album i don't mind that actually that's quite good yeah that's definitely a craddock song you can you can tell with the, the guitars uh and then it finishes on on the on the big it's a beautiful thing now i guess you're either going to like that or not because it, it's a big sort of i don't like it's, it's not a power ballad but you know it, it's a big build up building up song um you know sort of a, a love song that builds up and up and up goes off into a into a bit of a jam at the end so I, i'm not i'm not going to necessarily defend this album because i don't think it needs defending it for me it's a great album but if you don't like it you don't like it and that, that's the way it is i'm not going to time yeah I, I just think in the in the grand scheme of this type of music there are you know um much better examples of it personally that's what i think um but i love 100 mile high city and i got absolutely no beef with ocean color scene as a band this is not like snobby music journalist hates band because you know they're wearing the wrong hat or whatever like that that's not what this is but yeah man you know like i'm 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 glad you like it and there's no way that people should be i mean it is it was weird what happened to ocean color scene i do think you know they they took a brunt of unnecessary criticism for being who they wanted to be and i never think that's cool that's never a cool thing as far as i'm concerned the, the dad rock thing i think was very cruel um i think that was probably just a laughy comment over a pint somewhere at the enemy and they you know then went oh let's bite it down and see what happens because they also tried to do this thing called Noel rock as well where uh, fans yeah. that Noel gallagher approved of instantly became laughable oh it's no rock well you know so you've got you know ocean color scene cast northern uproar those sort of bands instantly <laughs> were, were were tainted by the as far as the enemy were concerned because they were approved of by the country's leading leading songwriter it's like well is that a bad thing I don't know. And then Dad he, Rock really annoys me because Dad Rock, yeah. well, my dad likes the Rolling Stones and the Who. So what's wrong with Dad Rock? And I'm a dad now. <laughs> mm, yeah. No, no, no. I think I think you're, that is an absolutely fair thing to say. Um, so yeah, Ocean Colour Scene. Like, you know, I've got no, I've got absolutely no beef with Ocean Colour Scene. I'm glad, I'm glad you enjoy them. Um, uh, but I probably will stick to the Black Crows, to be honest. Uh, and another band who I would <laughs> listen to over uh, the... Uh, I listen to the Black Crows over... Uh, no, I would listen to the Black Crows. I listen to the Black Crows. I just listen to fucking Black Crows. The Seahorses, right? So, now, I reckon this was one that people lost their shit about. Um, because Do It Yourself by the Seahorses, obviously, how dare I? How dare I slag off John Squire? How dare you say Same anything... Man, how dare you say anything bad about John Squire? Um, this comes down to this for me. Can you take one element of a great band, put them with 
quite an average band and get a classic album out of it get a classic band of it sometimes you can but in this instance i would say no the seahorses currently have 140,900 monthly listeners on spotify the stone roses currently have 2,129,853 monthly listeners on spotify and that's because one of those bands is the most important essential innovative and brilliant bands that this country has ever produced and the other one is a band who i heard people going oh yeah do you remember the seahorses on bbc six music today today in the car i was driving along and they played the song from this album i picked someone phoned up and went i used to like the seahorses and steve lamack and joe wiley both went oh yeah do you remember the seahorses nobody goes oh yeah do you remember the stone roses because they're the fucking stone roses but everyone does go oh the seahorses and surprise surprise guess what song they played they played love is the law because it is definitely definitely the best song on this record um and you know it's got like 11 million plays um which would make it the 11th least popular album um about one million listens away from sugar spun sister on the stone roses album and that you know that's that's just how it is i think for me this is the victim of somebody being and there we're saying about noel gallagher their own high standards have crippled the, the seahorses for me i think this album for the most part is completely competent but it isn't inspiring in the way that you would expect from someone like john squire and john squire should be doing better than this john squire played on that first stone roses album and he was such an incredible essential part of the stone roses and due to him being so brilliant on that album people now go he's incredible everything he does is incredible and it's it's like like we reviewed the new metallica album to bring them up again recently and it's the same riff for an hour not an hour 88 minutes in it 88 fucking minutes mm -hmm. the same riff because nobody can turn around to multi-millionaire lars ulrich and go don't do that that's, that doesn't sound very good that's stock <laughs> yeah. yeah don't do this you yeah. are better than this somebody needed to say to john squire get a better band get better songs that was too much, much fucking cocaine at, around you're at the time much better the than this and that that is my problem with the seahorses in a nutshell stop letting john squire get away with being fucking bang average and noodly doodling away Th that that's what i think does a great does a great guitarist make make an amazing album no ingve malmsteen and Joe Satriani and Steve God, I would suggest I can't imagine not. anything worse than listening to Surf of the Alien. Do you know what I mean? No, no. no. So anyway, uh, James, I'm sure you disagree. Well, I, I do disagree. Um, I, I, I agree with you about the fact that, obviously, John Squire is, I mean, he is a bit of a deity to, to British music fans. I mean, mm. the, the guy is an absolute god, isn't he? Um so he has got the problem that he has to try and create a new band after the, frankly, farcical collapse of the Stone Roses. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, Christ, how badly wrong did that go at the end? Well, I, I saw them, I saw them at Reading. I don't know if you saw that Reading '96 show, and it was just jaw-droppingly terrible, terrible. Yeah. yeah. So he's. 
He's got a problem the moment he's decided he's going to get a bat. Everyone's like, oh, we're going to get the Stone Roses Mark II. It's going to be incredible. No, he's not going to do that because why would he want to do that? He's done the Stone Roses. You know, he knows. He's not stupid. He knows that the Stone Roses are one of the most important bands in British musical history. You, There's no point trying to do it again. So he goes, he goes completely... In the opposite direction and he and he just makes a band out of nothing so obviously he's got himself he's obviously must have written some tunes he's got some got some stuff he wants to get done and then his roadie his guitar tech whichever discovers chris helm busking in in york city center and says to him this lad's pretty talented he's got a hell of a voice on him you should come and have a listen and he goes along and listens to chris helm supposedly playing in a pub gig or something and is suitably impressed Gives Chris Helm the job. Well, Chris Helm's not going to turn him down, is he? Because John Squire wants you to play in his band. I mean, John Squire, John Squire must have been blown away by the fact that someone could sing. I mean, Christ. <laughs> can, you imagine, can you imagine Ian Brown singing Love is the Law? It would have been a horror show. It would have absolutely destroyed it. So, yeah, it, it's a different band. We You can't compare it to the Roses, obviously. There... It's got it's got a few good tracks on it. I mean, I think "Love is the, Love is the Law" is is probably the best song. Certainly, when you play the full version, so you get the full outro of whatever three or four minutes of solid Squire fret wankery, and bloody hell does he do it well! I mean, he's literally his fingertips must have been melting on that one because he has absolutely gone for it. But I reckon, I reckon, "Blinded by the Sun" takes it on. I reckon it's it's a, a very very close second, and then you go, oh, he wrote that one, and then you realise it was Chris Helm, and you think, oh, hang on a minute, <laughs> the second best song on the album, which is pretty much as good as the first best, isn't actually written by John Squire. So, you know, Helm is an incredibly talented musician, but he's very different. Again, he's a bit like a bit like a Simon Fowler, great voice, a bit folky acoustic etc um you can't compare him in any way shape or form to ian brown um that's a cracking track and then also um you've got i think the opening track i want you to know is a bit like a, is a bit of a lover lovers the law you know lots of squire fret work i suspect that was an early one that he took you know when he left the roses probably had that in his in his pocket um and then the other interesting track on that album of course is the supposed story of Liam Gallagher co-writing Love Me and Leave Me with mm. John Squire. Now, is that true? Mm, I don't know. I mm. remember having a chat with Chris Helm once after a gig at the bar, and he told me the story of it and said Liam was in the building, but he's not convinced that Liam actually co-wrote it as such. But the record label put two and two together and went, We'll sell this album by saying Liam Gallagher co-wrote. <laughs> it's his first ever writing credit. Yeah. Um, very, very clever bit of business there. Now <laughs> he probably he probably suggested a couple of words here or there to, to John Squire, maybe. But I think co-write is pushing it a little bit. But it's a good track. So I think you've got I think you've got four decent tracks there without even really having to think about it. And then the rest of it, it's a bit bit hit and miss. Um, but I, it's, a, it's a decent album, but you can't you can't compare it in any way, shape, or form to the Roses, and that's that's his biggest problem in life. 
that's my that's my take on it i think it's it's a difference between comparing something uh directly with the stone roses and just sort of thinking i would like this person who is clearly immensely talented to give me more than you know like you say a decent album i think um the first couple of songs you write are, are all are all right i think they're all right i think i mean for me uh, i'm just looking at a track list now and there's a there's a bit in suicide drive where it goes a bit reggae and i just think that is like legitimately <laughs> yeah, embarrassing actually embarrassing um happiness is egg shaped i think is just a total waste of time as well um and but you know yeah the first two songs aren't i think blinded by the sun is probably the better of the two i think it's still some way off love is the law purely because like funnily enough because of john squire's big solo in that song i actually think the one thing that you kind of want to hear is one of the things that you kind of get almost a bit too sparingly throughout this throughout this record which is you know what feels like the, the big selling point for it would be like oh it's john squire but you don't get the kind of the flourishes that john squire brought to stone roses i mean that you're right they don't sound like the stone roses and they're not comparable to stone roses um but i don't know what they are like when you say you went in a different direction i mean that direction to me seemed to be just like oh perfectly bog standard fine indie songs and i just think someone like john squire is should be better than that he should be aiming higher than that like i just i just think his talents are are better utilized doing something more imaginative than just playing you know kind of three and a half minute four minute long indie rock songs with a, a decent vocalist it's not shit it's not like oh my god this is absolutely shit but I, he's for me. You're giving somebody who's much more talented a pass. It's like when um, to give a football analogy again. If a footballer plays at a championship level, when they've had to work really hard to get to that level, you go, "That's good. They've had a decent career." If they're in a team with somebody who came through the ranks at Real Madrid and was promised, to, you know, like, "Oh, this person's going to be the next Ronaldo or whatever," and they end up playing in the championship you go where well, you've wasted your career a little bit. And I think there's a little bit with me where I look at John Square and I think you've given us, you've that album, that Stone Roses album, you've given us that. And that feels like really all that is essential that you've given us. And yet you're such a great guitarist. You're such a great guitarist. And all we've got to show for it is that it's the paucity. It's a frustrating paucity of quality that John Squire has delivered throughout his career that I find quite, uh, like like a, I'm going to say a waste. I think it's a waste of his talents, personally. Yeah, I, I mean, oh, sorry, well, go on, James. No, no, no. I, I'm just going to sort of agree with you, really, that for, for all the talent of John Squire, there's so little output, isn't there? Really, I mean, yeah, a couple of comeback songs for the for the Stone Roses, which were okay, but mm. n nowhere near nowhere near what anyone thought might what they might be. Um, yeah, a Seahorses album. And and obviously the roses output. It, it was a couple of there's a couple of solo albums, but they were just not no nothing great really. really. No, uh, no one needs to hear John Squire's voice. No, no, no. You know, um, I'd actually say that um, the what turned out they did release a a, um, a standalone single after the first album, which I actually think is it's probably their best song. Uh, you can talk to me. 
Well, you talk, talk to me. It's a, it's a really, really good song. Um, and there's actually... Um, I, I had a copy of it many, many fucking years ago. In the good old days of BitTorrent. Uh, I, had, I had a copy of that unreleased um, like second album demos. You know, There's actually some not bad stuff on there. You know, Night Train and uh, like Cocksucker Blue. They were pretty good songs. But it's... Yeah, I don't know. This... This this was another album that a lot of people bought at the time when I was coming to like towards you know the end of my tenure at college. There was it was it was that kind of period that that there seemed to be one of these albums coming out every couple of weeks. It was almost this music was just fucking machine gunning the charts. You know, you get one week you get in, you know you'd get a new you get a Kuda Shag album. The next week you get a cast album. The next week there'd be a new Shed Seven album. We, well, the following week there'd be a new Manson album. Then you get Travis's debut. It was just it was just all the time. It's, and a lot of people that I was at college were, were were buying this stuff, and I was kind of I was I was hearing it, but I just wasn't convinced by it. And I've never, you know. As much as yes, you could say you know Chris Helm is he's you know he can oh obviously he's a better singer than fucking Ian Brown Jesus Christ not hard but I I just I don't think his voice suited this material certainly not in the way that it was recorded I know it was re- it was produced by Tony Visconti wasn't it this album I think um, you know obviously fucking legend Jesus um, I have seen Chris Helm do. Like acoustic shows at, at, over the years at like various star-shaped gigs and things like that, and you know the song, songs like "Blinded by the Sun" and whatnot, they they actually sound a lot better in that kind of stripped-back kind of capacity, you know. And I'm like, actually, okay, yeah, yeah, you know. And his voice just sound it sounded really, really good. I mean, it was it was a few years ago now, but you know, he was he was great. He was really, really good. Um, but yeah, this album, man, it just I don't know. It seems to have gone by this point for me, the whole kind of idea of what is Britpop and you know what the the general public kind of the mainstream perceive as Britpop had gone so far kind of down the rabbit hole of what I wanted out of these kind of bands that it like I was saying with with like Ocean Colour scene and stuff that I was kind you know conned by the first single and buying the album on the strength of Riverboat Song and 100 Mile High City as much as you like them and that's that's awesome man that, that's great first time I heard Love is the Law I remember the the Top of the Pops exclusive you know and then playing it on there you know John Squire's back yeah and, it's really, and the riff kicked in and I was just like oh, and it got to the chorus and I was like oh. I actually think I actually think the, the definitive version right of Love is the Law was the Mark and Lard version. That for me was... A, now I know where we're going, our kid. By the Shire Horses. That was the definitive version of this song. <laughs> <laughs> Ask your parents. <laughs> right? But, yeah. But it, it's such a fucking waste that one of the greatest guitarists of... I mean, fuck me, any generation, really. He fuck, you know... And, and again, like I said, I'll die on that hill with be here now. I'll die on that hill with the second coming. I fucking adore the second coming. Right. It's amazing. 
I remember being so excited when when I you know would love spreads come out and, and and getting second coming for Christmas that year. It's fucking incredible, and it's fucking like you said, it's fucking criminal that one of the greatest guitarists of all time, and certainly of our lifetime, there is basically three albums. But and what about Rennie? What about Rennie the drummer? Yeah, one of the greatest drummers of all time. Like, yeah, we're fucking criminal. At least, at least Manny went on and did, you know, Scream and stuff yeah. like that. And it's just like, what have these people got to show for it? It's such when, a we, when we did our that poll of the best drummers of all time, yeah, and, you know, like not being able to have him in there, I was like, oh, fucking hell. But anyway, um, yeah, you know, man, it's like I think that's the thing with this more than anything. Yeah, it's, it's not just... like they're terrible or bad. It's just a, like no. I just feel like, come on, man. Come you're, on, John Squire. You're better than something. this. You are better than this. Yeah. This for me. Yeah. Um, a lot anyway, of people we'll bought it and... though, so you know, a lot of people there bought you it. There go. Um, Ice to the Eskimos. <laughs> let's let's uh, let's try. We'll, we'll try and wang through these because you we we've kept you longer than we said we're going to, James. So we're going to try and shoot through some of these. Um, dodgy three piece suite by Dodgy. Right. So. Straight off the bat, I'm going to say this straight away by way of defence. I really wanted to like Dodgy. God, I wanted to like Dodgy. I love In A Room. I think it is an absolutely, absolutely brilliant song. Top tier, mate. Top tier Britpop yeah, banger, that is. Absolutely. Yep. Just a great song. Um, the Dodgy album that came out after Free Peace Suite, came out five years later, did not chart in the UK albums chart after this album made number seven. So I always think when an album does well, you can tell how many people actually liked it by how the follow-up album goes in the charts. If, if you know, the, the album, you know, everyone bought Appetite for Destruction and then when the two Use Your Illusions came out, they both went in at number one because everyone loved Appetite for Destruction so much. Everyone who bought Free Piece Suite <laughs> didn't bother even listening to the next dodgy album. And this went platinum in the UK. It sold 300,000 copies. And for an album to sell 300,000 copies and then the next one that follows it doesn't even have its own Wikipedia page. I think the reason for that is that most people bought this on the strength of one wicked single and there's another single, Good Enough, which I have to be honest with you. I know it's a song that people love a lot. I cannot bear that song, but fine. I will accept that a lot of people like it. I do not like that song. But I don't think anything else on this album is really very good. I mean, Good Enough has 18 million listeners on Spotify. In A Room has 2 million plus, right? So Good Enough is the big song. No doubt about it, Good Enough is a big song. I just personally don't like it at all. The next most popular song after that on Spotify is Thinking Of Me with 310,000 listens, and then it drops right off a cliff. So I don't know. I mean, people are not going back to these... Now, these are not masterpiece songs. I don't know what the reason could be. Why have only 80,000 people ever listened to an organ-led, seven-minute-long acoustic track called One of These Rivers by Dodgy? Seven minutes, right? Mate, you're in Dodgy, right? There's a banjo solo halfway through. Fuck, fuck me. Chuck your fucking trumpets away, lads. Stop. Like I remember the drummer said they were, you know, like, so they were asking about the Oasis and, and Blur in the enemy. Like, who's better, Oasis or Blur? And the drummer from Dodgy went, they're the birds and the Rolling Stones. It doesn't matter because we're the Beatles. 
And I just thought, you must be the most delusional man on planet Earth, right? You're the drummer in Dodgy. Beastie's a legend. Oh, cocaine's a hell of a drug. Yeah. <laughs> seven out of ten. <laughs> seven out of ten. Yeah, the pork pie hat one. Yeah. Seven out of ten in the enemy. At this time during the summer of Britpop, easiest nine they could have given and they couldn't even justify for it. I'm sorry. I'm just like, this album fucking sucks. It fucking sucks, this album. And it's such a shame because In A Room is class. It's a great song. And the rest of it is hointy, jointy, jolly, fuck, nah, nah, there's nah, a, nah, nah. There's a pattern for me in here, mate. Yet, it was yet again I was conned by the opening single. Over to wow. you, James. Go on, James. In A Room is the best song on the album. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree fully. Uh, good Enough is, I like it. It's a good song. It's a massive, it is massive, like you talk the numbers. I think I heard uh, Nigel Clark once said it paid the mortgage. It basically, he, he, he doesn't, he's mortgage free because of good enough. That's how much radio play that got. Um, if you're thinking of me, that's a great song. Um, the deep cut on that one, I would say for anyone who doesn't know the album is uh, give Pray for Drinking a listen. That's a decent song. Bit of slide guitar in there, which which you don't get much of that in Britpop, do you? Slide guitar, pop and love spreads. True. 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 So, um, and and Jesus' and hairdo. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's not there's not a huge amount of it around. But um, the one thing I will say about Dodgy is I went to see them when they did the homegrown anniversary tour, and I saw them a few months ago when they did the this this album in full. They are better live than the albums. Definitely, they are a better live band than they are mm. on record because. There is a lot of energy when they play live. Obviously, like I said, Priesty, the drummer is, I mean, Matt Priest, he's completely bonkers. I mean, he, play, he plays like Keith Moon. He is. Well, he is, I mean, he's a decent drummer. I mean, he, you might, he might say, oh, there's so and so, there's so and so, we're the Beatles. If anything, they're probably the who of, of if you're comparing back for the, you know, the three piece, um, oh no, the who's a four piece, but they, they, they have the energy of, of, of the who in terms, especially live. Um, and I do think, I do think if you see them live, you, you'd enjoy the music more than, than listening to it on the album. Certainly. I, uh, I did, I saw them live at Reading in 96. Um, when I went to that and, um, I'm not sure if the album had come out at that point, but I was very excited to see them because I really loved it. And obviously, like Staying Out for the Summer was a big hit from the album before. And, yeah. you know, Gra and Grassman was a great song on that album. Yeah. 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 And I remember being like, oh, I'm into this. And then this just felt, I don't know, this is maybe, do you know what? I'm going to concede this to you, James. Maybe I'm being a snob here. <laughs> I think I think I think the biggest problem with Free Piece Suite, right? Like like you were saying, James, live there was so much more energy to them. They were a much kind of louder, heavier, gnarlier band live, right? This album was essentially kind of recorded and, and released as a sugary sweet pop album. It's too cuddly. It's way too overproduced. Considering what, yeah, because I've seen Dodgy Live a couple of times, right? Considering what they sound like live, and you, you're totally right to say that, James, right? I think this album was, it was almost like it was, I don't know, marketed and packaged for the smash hit reader rather than the enemy reader. It went so pop, you know, in a, in a room of size, you know, that's just like fucking prime era who, you know, that riff man is like, it's like a Townsend riff. I, I, you know, it's in my head now. I know it's in both your heads now, right now. 
Yeah, it just is. When those cut and drums come in, oh, it's wonderful, right? But I think the rest of the album, it was produced so sugary sweet and so sanitized that it was kind of marketed as, I don't know, oh, maybe, you know, if Oasis is a bit too kind of heavy and angry for you, then have this. This is nice and sweet and summery. Bounces and along, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but again, yeah, it, but it, was, it sounds, it's produced so different to that previous album. You know, staying out for the summer and Grassman and stuff like that, and you know, Melody's haunting you and stuff. Great songs, right? But they had a bit more a kind of grit. Like they produced with a bit more grit and vim and vigor. Right? This album, it just, it, yeah, and it just sounds, it just sounds so, so fucking sanitized to me. But yeah, I've seen, I the, I, it, I've seen these songs live, and they are so much better live. Even good enough, which box A again. God, just no. It's like it's like yeah. Chinese water torture hearing that song on the radio. You know? I um yeah I mean you know I also will confirm yeah I think it was the the how poppy they had become and yeah. when this came out um I mean I was listening to like Sepultura <laughs> when this came out <laughs> do you know what I mean I was giving it fucking rocks yeah. bloody rocks yeah, it was, and so, then, so was I though but I still have my fingers you know I still have my toes dipped in, yeah, in the Britpop pool man definitely Always. definitely Always. like yeah man so did i for sure but i was really excited by like going oh and i get that fucking pantera album and then i was <laughs> yeah. also like but i'll get yeah. the dodgy album as well <laughs> i was bringing it back and then, brilliant and I was, great shots of train kill and three p suite i love that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and actually now now admittedly i do think like that's that's good i should be you know i should be more you know you should be more open to that right you should be more yeah. open to those things but i think yeah. at the time i was like oh no this is too poppy and going back to it and then also listening to a bit of homegrown as well and being like oh yeah, he did have some good singles yeah i do i do think that's the thing it's just it's just very poppy and i think mate don't be giving me a seven a fucking seven minute 43 long no 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 but but i will concede i might be being a bit of a snob here Hold oh, my, oh, my hands up. There we go. That's that's good. Yeah. Um, that's good enough for me. Hey. hey. <laughs> uh, good. Right, gay dad. Um, let's talk nepotism. Let's talk industry plants. We've all heard the phrases. I personally don't care about any of that stuff before. Um, so, yeah, gay dad. I mean, it's a bad name, isn't it? It's bad. It's bad. Uh, you know, you're not you're not helping yourself by calling yourself gay dad straight away. Um, and um, the song I picked was "To Earth with Love" from Gay Dad's debut album "Leisure Noise" that came out on seventh of June, nineteen ninety nine. So, is this a Britpop album? Does this count as Britpop? No. The timing. Next, moving on. Oh, I think I think it is. This an ultrasound. This was it for me. Did this is where okay. it officially died for me as a yeah. as a kind of thing mm. you know they both had they both had enemy album covers that year mm. you know that for me was was the death knell of it i mean yes it had died before then but this was kind of like the dying whimpers where even the press were going actually mm. so for me it's too late especially for a debut at that point if, if you're making your debut at that that late stage, you you really have missed the Britpop boat. Really, I think I think that's it's too, it's far too late for me. And, and and I have to admit, I put my hands up. I actually don't know really anything about Gay Dad. I I never paid them any attention particularly. All I know about them is that is it Cliff 
Cliff Jones, the Cliff yeah. Jones, yeah, as a journalist in the, the for the music press or the face or something. Yeah, you know, and it's like I can do this. Let's get a band together. Let's be gay dad and and all our mates will review us, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, I really don't know much about them. I have to admit. Yeah, I mean, I'll just fucking skim through this because I think like somebody actually said to me, uh, someone tweeted me and said, "Go and listen to Dim Star from this album," and I did, and I thought, yeah, actually, it's okay. Mm. I just remember Gay Dad being a bit of a mess. I mean, my, that's my main, again, it's my main beef with it, is this is a bit of a mess. It's weird. It's just a sort of weird album. Um, to Earth With Love is kind of too long, but it kind of reminds me of Coxiny, Coxiny Blur, it reminds me of a bit, which, yeah. I, which I rather like. And again, it's produced by Tony Visconti. Yeah. Uh, didn't didn't Andy Bell almost join them? Also? There's an Andy Bell connection. To me. Yeah, there is. I, yeah. He almost was I've it, heard. and then Oasis came along. Or, yeah, or then Oasis. And, yeah. Yeah. No swoops fuck in. Me. What a fucking revolving door moment that is. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> he chose the wrong fucking What's band. He done there? That is that is I'm gonna make sli- I'm gonna make sliding doors too with Andy <laughs> Bell joining Gay Dad. Brilliant. Sliding off a cliff. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, do you know what? Like it's a silly name. Yeah. Uh, it's a bit of a mess. I mean, it's not a terrible record. It's just a weird one. And the songs are long, man. The songs are fucking long. Yeah, but it's I I I have a lot of good memories attached to to Earth with Love. It reminds me of that I had a great summer in 99. You know, working disposable income. You know, went to Reading and you know, it was one of the best readings that year. Um I just remember To Earth Would Love being, I worked in like a, a little warehouse at a time. We had a shitty little radio in the corner. To Earth Would Love was on. They they played it all day on Radio 1. Um, I also remember the follow-up single, Joy. That always reminds me of getting a PlayStation because it was on, it was the opening music to FIFA 99. It was. Am I right, yeah. Stephen Hill? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and yeah. I I don't yeah. think it's a good song, but I like it purely because of yeah. that. So, just that kind of cut myself. Just that riff. Da, da, ba, ba, da, bow, now, ba, 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 bow, now. Yeah. But it just reminds me of just, yeah, firing up the PlayStation. That, yeah. Um, good song. I've got nothing else. I've got nothing no, else. No, that, that's, that's literally all I've got. And I'm fine with that. I don't think I may have listened to the album once. Probably thought it was shit at the time. Haven't listened to it since '99. But "To Earth with Love" is a legit banger, and it's got the it's the immortal line. But that's cool. Aerosmith rule. Yes, Aerosmith rule. <laughs> <laughs> now, see for me, I hate Aerosmith. So that's like ah, like, this is me, where this is where we fall out, James. Rule, it's like oh dear, oh no. <laughs> especially because i saw aerosmith the summer and summer of 99 at wembley stadium as well so but yeah, that's another reason why you know i, I suppose uh that that line has a, a nostalgic tug for me mm. i don't mind aerosmith i, I think it's a good album um but i don't mind either way anyway yeah fucking forget gay dad forget gay dad mccalmont and butler the sound of mccalmont and butler now this i think may well have been the least read part of my article because <laughs> i even say this album's good in it right but i can't believe they picked that right this album is all right right it's just that the song yes the song i picked is just so much better than anything else on it it is so obviously yeah. of all the things that we've spoken about today this is the one that is so obviously head and shoulders maybe even knees and toes better than anything else that we've spoken about 
on, on anything on this album. This is a 7 out of 10 album with one 11 out of 10 track on it. Yes is one of the best fucking songs. I mean, again, spoken about it on this podcast before, it's it's brilliant. And it's not surprising that this song is so good because this collab happened purely down to this song. The success of this song was so big that they're basically forced to write together and split up before the album came out and it was all a big bloody mess. But... You know, that's no way to start a band. So are we really that surprised that they never managed to, you know, kind of find that creative focus and that kind of like spark um, as much as they did in that song? I'm not. And I would say, you know, 10 million plus streams on this song. Um, the next song on the album, What's Excuse This Time, is the second most popular and it has 139,000 plays. So it's got literally like, wow. you know, it's, it, wow. yes, it's 10 times plus bigger and then it drops off a cliff from that i mean I actually like this song but like everything else it's not yes you know dave mccallman is an incredible singer i actually yeah. think this is a good record but you know like the debt the, the the debitor at the end of this album i think is a fucking great song but the, the heights you are trying to scale to get to that song is borderline impossible i think and so yeah. It gets there just as a comparative thing. Um, how do you feel about that song, James? Yes, it's incredible. It's an absolute stormer, isn't it? It's one of the Britpop high high watermarks. It's still played on. I mean, radio. You turn Radio Six on any given day, and you'll probably hear it at some point. It's yeah. always on. Yeah. And it just—it's one of those. And every time they play it on Six Music, the, their tweets are, "Oh, I was in the car and I've had to stop." Or I've, whatever they, i was in my kitchen and I'm, I'm now like singing and dancing because it's 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 such an uplifting piece of music yeah it's so incredible this is another the problem with this album of course is a bit like the john squire thing bernard butler has the shadow of suede always over him he he can't get away from it unfortunately and of course you know obviously suede do coming up and etc he does this some people i think of i've seen people say this isn't even technically an album it's a sort of a collection of odds and sods that yeah yeah it is yeah cobbled together with all the b-sides from the two yeah sizzles, so you know. it's it's a bit of a funny one it yeah it, it doesn't really ever take off no not many people have listened to it but everyone knows yes and it's a great song there's okay stuff on it this I would probably I'd probably say I can see why you put this one in in your in your list yeah it's hard to argue with that hmm. yeah I mean it's just an amazing song uh, Sam who, I, who was on the podcast with us previously you listening probably will remember Sam he was young James he was twenty nine the idiot. And he went, he went, he went, ah, it's another bloody Britpop song, isn't it? And I was like, you fucking what? Oh. He didn't th like it. Why, why do you think Sam's not on the podcast anymore? We buried him alive. alive. <laughs> <laughs> Curry in the bottom of the Thames somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Concrete shoes. Yeah. 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 I, it, I was just like, I was, because, I, you know, that's the thing with this. When you, if, for a lot of this, I think the thing is, if you weren't there, I know you obviously, you were there, you're very passionate about it. We were there. We get very kind of het up about it. If you weren't there, it's, I, I can like, you know, again, with this thing, I can kind of go, okay, let's try and take myself out of this. If I wasn't there for Ocean Colour Scene and someone played it to me now, would I like it? I don't really particularly think I was. No. If I was like 18 or whatever and I was into, you know, 
bad boy chiller crew and all that kind of stuff like would you would you like it i don't i don't know right right yeah but sam he's 29 he's you know he's into guitar music and stuff but like i was like he's got to like yes surely and when he didn't i just i couldn't believe it i was like the state of this country in the words of alan partridge yeah this you, country, you, these, people. you people you <laughs> people <laughs> scum subhuman yeah. scum subhuman scum yeah. yeah so well i'm glad we agree on that one because yeah. i can tell you something i have a funny feeling we might not agree on the next one coolest shakers k now that's what i call cultural appropriation um <laughs> uh this album coolest shakers k as yeah. far as i'm concerned is the musical equivalent of that bloke on short circuit going oh johnny five you are alive that you remember that guy who's in succession now the white guy yeah blacked up pretending uh, to be F- fisher fisher stevens yes yeah fisher stevens. yeah uh, i mean mm. already totally indefensible i would say um i always wondered with cooler shaker uh what bands like asian dub foundation or corner shop or knit and sawney or like Hytem from Sensor, kind of British Asians making music at that time. I always wondered what they thought about Crispian Mills and what he was going on about riding into the fucking temple or Govinda Jaya Jaya. And it's just... I, I cannot... This has aged so badly, hasn't it? So badly. I mean, Hey Dude from K... Mm is the song that I picked from this. And I think it's a great rock song. And I will say, this is the last thing I'm going to say positive. Night on the Town, the next track, I think they try and do the same thing again. And it's all right, right? And I think then it drops off a cliff. Absolutely drops off of a cliff, this record. I cannot even begin to fathom who is going to, like people would go i did see people in the comments going k <laughs> i was like yeah yeah k yeah k yeah obviously k i mean again um the world is with me on this i think there's a little hardened group of people who aren't uh are you one of them james i am in that little hardened group i absolutely adore cooler shaker i i just love them always have from the first time i heard tatvar the first time i heard tatvar you know, when we're, we're absorbed in, in Blur, Pulp, Suede, Oasis, etc. Tatvar came through the radio. It's like, what? what what's that? That like a sitar. And it's just like, it was so out of left field for, for, for what was going on. It just caught my attention. Um, and then when the album came out, yeah, bought it. I, I, I love it. I love it. I'm, I'm one of those very rare people. I've got every album they've done. I'm like, they, you know, the, the most recent album, what, from last year, 18 months ago, I went to the tour, saw them at Ali Pali. You know, I I, I think they're great. I, I absolutely love love the band. I think Crispian Mills is an incredibly talented guitarist who gets no credit for it at all. Um, he, he gets he gets talked about mainly for being Hayley Mills' son. Um, he's, a, he's a great songwriter. He's a brilliant guitarist. Um, in terms of tracks on this album... Um, my favourite is 303, uh, which is which is you know an absolute stomper. Uh, Tatvar, I like Govinda. I know it's completely like cod Indian sort of. It's ridiculous. Hey, dude, that's a great single. I mean, you again. So we talk about six music, and yes, well, if you turn absolute radio nineties on, 
you'll hear Hey Do probably five times in, in a three uh, yeah. <laughs> Interspersed it, with their cover of Hush. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get really cross with people. Oh, I love Kudashank. I love that Hush. It's like, that's a Deep Purple song. And even yeah. there's the cover, isn't it? That's yeah. the cover of someone else. Yeah, it is, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't, I, don't I, I couldn't be bothered with the Hush thing, to be perfectly honest. Um, the deep cut on this album, Start All Over, should have been a single. I'm surprised that wasn't a single. That's a great little song. Um, uh, yeah, it's a great album. Like I say, I, I've, I've seen them quite a few times over the years, and every time there's an album cycle, I go to the tour and I get blown away, and I remember how brilliant they are as, as musicians and what a great band they are. But they have a they have a tough time. They have a tough time, like Ocean Colour scene. They they get absolutely slated because the music press turned on them as well and made it you know didn't like them and and gave them a hard time. And yeah, they, they they've had a tough life. A millionaire, yeah, uh, oh, uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> has a tough life, has he? Inheriting his mother's million yeah. to inherit it from his, from yeah, his grandma. Sounds, like, sounds yeah. like he's had a sounds like he's had a, and they say nurses are a bit hard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this went to number one in the charts in, in 1996, went platinum two and a half years later, number nine, the follow up, sold a third of the album. So, again, for me, you know, the reaction to an album that is that was the, the biggest selling debut album since definitely maybe yes, slightly. It was, yeah. um but with pretty much no follow-up success i think everyone bought it on the strength of the hype and then realized that it went up to much i mean you know the most streamed song on this album is hey dude of course which has seven million six hundred twenty one thousand two hundred forty three streams to put into connection, you think that they sold as many copies for their debut album as Oasis had sold for their debut album. The biggest song on Definitely Maybe is Live Forever, which has 216,179,800 streams. Now, for whatever reason, Cooler Shaker didn't connect yeah, in the, the way, way that Oasis connected. <laughs> Kel, Kel Surprise, right? Um, I mean, they currently have 362,782 uh, monthly listeners. Oasis have basically 20 million. And when I listen to this record, and I know it's a hard bar to put it up against Definitely Maybe, I think even the comparison when you like with Definitely Maybe is kind of mental. But I, I just think, well, I'll tell you what, right? What do you reckon, do you know what Kerrang! magazine thought of it, uh, James? I suspect they weren't too keen. But to be to be fair, when Cooler Shaker, because like a good friend of mine, uh, a guy called Steve, he does um, a podcast called the Kerrang Back Issues podcast, um, and kind of hey, got, dude was single of the week in Kerrang. It was right, and he, he's up to like nineteen ninety six now. So we're getting up to this period where this issue that you're holding came out, right? Cooler Shaker were getting regular kind of three, what well, four or five five k live album reviews. They were getting single of the week. It all seemed to be building up. There was they—they they were one of those rare bands from that time that all the magazines were covering. Mm. You know, the indie press, the rock press. There weren't many. You know, Therapy were one. You know, Foo Fighters and stuff like this, but there weren't many. And there, sure. there seems, yeah, you know, and there was a lot. Of, they, I mean, you know, yes, again, you know, the pattern is fully formed now. I—I I bought this album on the strength of Hey Dude. Right, Tatva 
kind of that kind of passed me by for whatever reason. I wasn't actually um, like in the country at the time when Tatva was out. Um, but I, I'd come back to the, to the UK and just as like Hey Dude was out as a single, and I was like, "Fuck, this is this is the bomb, man! This is amazing." And yeah, like Hunter of Malhai City, like in a room, I bought the album on week of release. Over to you, Stephen Hill. Man, I'm just going to say, you'll like this, Gaz. The Kerrang. So this is Kerrang from um, September 14th, 1996, £1.50. Every Wednesday. Wild Art. Every Wednesday. Um, it does say Planet Rock every Wednesday. Yeah, Planet Wild Rock. Art, every, yeah. Wild Art Split is hey, got on the cover. Of course they fucking do. Get your do. bingo cards out now. <laughs> every week. Every week the Wild Art Split up. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's funny actually because like, I mean, you look at it, right? So it's got Soundgarden on the front cover with Pearl, with Eddie Vedder and Chris Cornell on the front cover. So they're still kind of, you know, the, mm. people say, oh, that grunge went away, but like, you it's know, Kerrang, they were no, still it didn't. Yeah. Um, And then you look at the other bands they're covering, Ash, Reef, Skunk and Ancy. I mean, they're all kind of NME bands, right? Yeah, they were shine bands, TFR Friday bands, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, mm. I wouldn't go as far as to call them Britpop bands, but no. they were certainly, you know, part of that thing. Anyway, Jason Arnop reviewed Cooler Shakers K, and he only gave it one more K than its title. So it got two Ks. He says, oh, yes, please. What the world needs is another do dro dose of retro rock. Yes, shovel that crazy 60s action right into our turntables. We'll be like cats with cream. God knows the single sound promising. Grateful when you're dead. Jerry was there and the new one, Hey Dude, led you to believe that the eventual album might well be super retro, but fairly good fun all the same time. They certainly had zest. So you play the album once, twice, three times. All the time, you're desperately trying to convince yourself that this is vital new blood, not an, and just another Substone Roses. Oh, Oh no, many people seem to like Cooler Shaker, so there must be something here. They've been in the top five, you know. Then, after about the fifth play, it dawns on you that this album has absolutely fuck all buttons inside you. It doesn't connect, it's got nothing to say, and it's a pointless rehash, no pun intended, of stuff you've never heard before or particularly liked. In short, this is a hackney-eyed, pseudo-spiritual pink doors nonsense which regularly evokes images of people in flared trousers wag waggling their forefingers around on the dance floor. Temple Ever of Everlasting Light sounds like Spinal Tap in their Stonehenge phase <laughs> with much bauble of building temples to the sun and moving to the east. The east, you say, of London? This is a Spinal Tap-esque line about a place where cats meow. Tedious clip-on interludes of eastern mysticism like Govinda feature Indian vocals and instrumentation, merely seek... Uh, seem engineered to make Kula Shaker seem like deep, culturally rich thinkers. The word pretentious springs to mind, whether singer Crispy and Mills went on holiday to India or not. Hey Dude remains groovetastic. Smart Dogs deserves a toe tap or three. Grateful when you're dead, Jerry was there. Still carries a certain schizo attraction. But Kay drops the curtain on the whole Kula Shaker picture and it's less than attractive. Being retro certainly hasn't done Oasis any harm, but they've got way and better tunes than this. It's a disturbing thought that in the year 2026, a band may attempt to rekindle that classic Kula Shaker vibe. Well, we're I think, three years I think, away. I think, I think <laughs> it's coming. Probably think that's probably what, so right. you're, what you're um, saying is he liked it, yeah? <laughs> in, in short. I mean, I think I like it more than that. Fucking <laughs> yeah. hell. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the, the, the funny thing about Cooler Shaker is Brit, the whole Britpop thing is supposedly a 60s revival. Most of it doesn't sound anything like the 60s. They're about the only band to me in the whole Britpop thing that actually sound like the 60s. And then they get slagged off for it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, 
obviously i don't think it was kerrang's bread and butter to be fair no, no. um so you know i suppose you should add that caveat but you know i mean i'm sorry to give a pelter another pelter to a band who have taken loads of pelters before james and the band that you like and if you like cooler shaker i think that's good people should I, you should always want to like stuff we say it all the time every time you press play on anything ever you should want to like it and you should hope that you're going to like it and if i don't like it that's annoying for me i would rather like i would rather put press play and go this is great this is really really great i love it but unfortunately for me in this instance this is the one of all of them where i was just like i i i just can't i i just i genuinely like i just don't get it i don't get it i don't get the kind of, I mean, I think the kind of the Indian stuff is is, and it's not on every song, and that's the weird thing about it is, is actually when I went back and listened to this album, I was like, that's not as much as I remember. I think Hey Dude again, I think Hey Dude is way better than anything else, even than the ones that are kind of trying to ape that. I still think it is the kind of gold star, the gold standard of that. But I think the, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say borderline offensive Indian stuff that is on this record. Uh, is just too overbearing to ignore for me. You're right. There isn't the Indian stuff is is a bit overegged. I think, isn't it? There isn't so much as you, as you think there's going to be. Um, most of the time, I think they're trying to be Deep Purple or something like that. That's what they're that's what they're aiming for, mm-hmm. with a little sprinkling of, uh, of of the Indian stuff that obviously Crispin Mills has been to India and, 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 and likes that culture and, and likes the sound of, of the sitar drone and, and, and the, 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 the tabla drum, etc. That's something he obviously wanted to try and put into it. But I think deep down, I think they just wanted to be deep purple. Um, yeah. And whether, whether it worked or not, you know, is, is up to everyone's, everyone's opinion. Um, mm. For me, I think, yeah, I think it's a good album. I think there's, there's, you know, five, five, you know, strong now, strong songs on it. Um, so I disagree with your your selection for for your list, but, but I can understand why you don't like it because it's it, it is a little bit yeah you're gonna like it or not. I mean it's it, it's kind of easy. I mean you know like it, I don't like it, and it's and it's easy and it's like an easy target. I feel like Cooler Shaker are an easy target. Like that's why when I read some of the comments, of people going like Cool, how can you say that about Cooler Shaker? It was like this is like going um someone picking not picking dude dude where's my car in the like top 100 best films ever and someone going i can't believe i cannot believe you haven't picked dudes where's my car it's like mate everybody hates coolish like you know (laughs) no like i'm glad you like them but everybody hates them like do you know what i mean like everybody they they took a lot of pelters and I, i hate to kind of add to the the noise of you know, because I'm glad you like it and you should you should like it and you shouldn't feel ashamed or you shouldn't feel embarrassed or you shouldn't feel anything for liking it. But yeah, for me, like it was it was it was almost too easy a pick, I think. Um and uh yeah. I know Jason Arnop agrees with me anyway, so that's one thing. Last one. Let's move on. Um last one. Uh I went with the song Sleep by Marion um from the album this world and body which came out on the 5th of february 1996 and you know what yeah i got that wrong sorry about that <laughs> well that's good that you can admit it 
I, I yeah, I, it's an album that I don't listen to a huge amount, but Sleep is a great song. Time is a good, good song as well. Yeah. And it has, and my favorite Marion song of all time is Let's All Go Together. That wonderful car riff is just yeah. filth, and I love it. Um, but I say it's not it's not an album that I'm regularly playing, but but certainly those three tracks are all are all really strong, really strong songs. Gaz. Hello. Right. You, you love this, don't I'm you? Gonna you go, I'm man. gonna fucking nut you the next time I see you, Steve. This was the one. I could appreciate, you know, all the Charlotte and stuff and you know, all all the other, you know things this is the one where i was like no 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 i'm fucking standing up for this album. this was the second best album that came out in 1996 whoa there whoa <laughs> yeah the, the best being long pigs obviously for, okay before That's before you album, actually want to retort and chin me out. steve right? i'm talking about indie rock here okay Okay, fine. Oh yeah. I don't okay, know. chill out. <laughs> this is gonna involve. This is gonna, this is gonna turn into a fucking fist fight. I think this is such a perfect album. Um, yeah, falling through is a wonderful way for it to start. Sleep is amazing. Let's all go together is amazing. I stop dancing. They do. They do a wonderful version of I stop dancing on. Um, there was a show that went that was on telly the previous summer called uh, Britpop Now. That Damon presented and Pulp, Pulp, Supergrass, they were all like, Marion were on it. That was the first time I ever heard Marion. Oh, I stopped dancing. One. Toys for Boys is an incredible. Steve, I can't believe. Have you, Steve, have you listened to Toys for Boys? You'd fucking love it. It's slinky, glammy, kind of garage rock. You would love that song. Honestly. Yeah, so here's, here's what happened. Right. Here's what happened with this. I'll let you in on a little secret. Let's hope no one. Okay. Is, is anyone listening? What happened? Is it, is it shh, just us, yeah? So, right. some people will be listening. Okay. But this is what happened, <laughs> right. right? I made a big long list of stuff yeah. from memory before I kind of went through a lot of it, yeah. right? And when it came down to it, I had Kanicki and I had Viva Brother. Do you remember Viva Brother? Yeah, yeah unfortunately. Yeah. So, I was like, stick Viva Brother in there. Um, and came back to me and they were like, look, you're kind of, you're, that's not part of Britpop. And in my head, right, I was like, oh, fucking. So I kind of, it got sent back and rejigged a few times, right? So there were a few bands that got taken out and then got sort of, some things got put back in. But Marion were one that came in. So basically, you know how much I love this, well, Gaz, you know how much I love the Smiths, right? I know Morris is yeah. a wanker and everything, but like, yeah. I fucking love the Smiths. And I but, love, and the Smiths were the band who I was like, I love the Smiths. And I just had a bee in my bonnet as a kid against Marion and Gene and any band that sort of sounded like the Smiths, right? That's tried to sound like the Smiths. I was like, how dare you? <laughs> how dare you? How very dare you try and sound like the Smiths? And the weird thing is, like, and so I listened to that song and I was like, because someone said to me, like, what about Sleep by Marion? Like, and I was like, oh, that band that fucking sound like, just try and sound like the Smiths. And so I listened to that song and I was like, cool, this is actually Great. a really, really good song. Yeah. And so I wrote the thing up and I sent it in. And then you went, that album's amazing. And I went and listened to the album and I was like, one, it is really good. And two, <laughs> Don't even sound that much like the Smiths. No. <laughs> no. 
no. Well, apart from that. Yeah, yeah, apart from that. Yeah. So it's a right fuck up. Yeah. So yeah, look, yeah. I it, that that was absolutely down to um Yeah. Uh, a, a memory of like I kind of skipped through a few songs and I was like, oh, you know, nothing's really grabbing me mm. like immediately. But when you said no, no, properly sit down and listen to it. Mm. And I did. And I was yeah. like, oh, yeah, fucking hell. Yeah, t- Actually, this is, this is time, time's a great good. single. I mean, it all went, when it all turned to shit very quickly for this band, like the singer, James and Jamie Harding got, got massively into the, into the, into doing horse, basically, you know, the set, the second album, I believe was produced by Johnny Marr, the program, I think. Yeah, he loved them, like apparently. Yeah, he yeah. did. Uh, obviously, there's your Smith connection, Steve. Well done. Und- under- undermining my, uh, yeah, right. my <laughs> point even more. Um, Morrissey's a big fan of Echo Belly, isn't he? Apparently, Morrissey loves Echo Belly, who's another band that apes the uh, the Smiths. Yeah, true, true. I mean, I I, I nearly picked Echo Belly as well because I was like, oh, I Echo... and then I was like, oh, no. There, there's there's more than one good tune on 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 on. But um, you know. I, and I was, you know, Marion kind of split. I think Jamie, I don't know if he went to prison or, I mean, so much shit kind of happened in those intervening years. And like a good, a good friend of mine who uh, is actually very good friends with um, the people that run Starshaped. Um, he was telling me, oh, fuck me, when was it? About 2011, 2012, maybe, that they were they were basically looking, or maybe it's a bit, bit after that but anyway um the, um starshape were looking to get marion to reform to do a star-shaped gig and it it got so close but i think joby then just fucking relapsed again and it was it was such a shame because i i never got to see them back in the day they were always one of the bands i was like i'd, I'd love to see marion i'd love to see a healthy jamie singing these songs because like i mean steve you talked about sleep the version i mean again and like um james you were talking about the word the version of sleep that Marion do on on I think it was the last season of the Word in like early '95. There's an incendiary live version of that Jamie, J- Jamie looking so fucking cool, looking like David Bowie, that kind of you know like thin and wiry and all this you know yeah, and, and, that, yeah. yeah and pr- play it, it belting out that harmonica riff. Yes, yeah. and it's yeah. it's fucking incredible. Yeah. yeah, it's a sad story. It is. It's really sad. Yeah, it's one of the saddest. Many, so, yeah. There aren't that. I mean, Britpop doesn't have that many really sad tales of, of, of people really, you know, going to pot. No. And there's the Elastica story. Yeah. You know, but yeah, Jamie Harding probably is, is the saddest. Is, yeah. Yeah, it really is. Maybe it, it, in a lot of ways, I find the Marion story kind of sort of sadder than, you know, the way like, you know, it all kind of ended for Elastica and stuff. Because I... I I much prefer well I I don't know I, I seem to hold Marion a lot closer to my heart even back then than I did with Elastica. I liked the Elastica singles. Was never a huge fan of the album. I get it. I can see why. Obviously, people fucking adore it and stuff. But yeah, there was just something. There just seems to be so much. Obviously, you know, obviously Elastica kind of realised their potential. Like the debut album was fucking huge. Yeah. Blah blah blah. Number one album and all this kind of shit. But Marion, there just seemed to be that kind of unfulfilled potential. Them and the Long Pigs are probably the two. I was just like, they could have been. Long Pigs should have been fucking massive. They should have been huge, but you know. Now, see, what is, just going off on a tangent, like, what do you think of? Is it Mobile Home, the Long Pigs' second album? I yeah, I'm not really I, a fan. Oh, I, I quite like it. It's very different to the first album. I think that was, 
you know, the, the, the first single, was it the Frank Sinatra? That was, I, I did like that. It's very different though. Um, I am, don't even think, because that came out looking at it. 98, 1999. 1999 by the looks of it. There you go. Oh, yeah. and it, and it, I was, yeah. I've never listened to it. Yeah, but there's, that, that was another one, 99, that it got released in 99. No one gave a flying fuck. No one cares. A lot of in 1999 that just, yeah. it's, it's, it's too late. They've missed the boat. Yeah. And whether, whether they were good or not. The James album, there was a James album that year. Was it Millionaires? That was around that sort of time, I think. Yeah, they played Red in like the year before. Yeah, they? obviously they had a number one album with their greatest hits. And then they followed that up with, with Millionaires, which I think did all right. And it's a really good album, but no one gave a fuck about it. No. Is that it when Tim Booth was wearing like a big sparkly suit at Reading. Did you see that? I did. That was brilliant at Reading. Yeah. That was, yeah, yeah that, when they were doing like She's a Star and yeah. that was the whiplash. Oh, that was fucking incredible. Yeah. Very good. Brilliant. Um, right. You've gone off on one about the 90s again, Gaz. So I'm Sorry, gonna you in. I'm going gonna, gonna to rein you in. This was your <laughs> idea, Steve. I know it was. I know it was my idea. Um, <laughs> right. Okay. James, cheers for coming on. That's that's it. Thank you very much for for being part of the show. Um we appreciate it and it's uh, it's been lovely lovely chatting to you. Just really really quickly, if you were doing this list, any any ones I missed that you think that would have been uh a, a if you were doing the same sort of thing? Well, or well, funny just saying yeah about mobile home by long pigs I think would probably would probably be there for me. Um <laughs> Northern Uproar's debut album, maybe. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not fucking having that, James. No, from a window. <laughs> and then, mm, I don't know. Yeah. I, I have that. <laughs> yeah. I think most Britpop albums have at least two or three decent songs. I think, yeah. I think, you know, it, it burns brightly and it, it burns out pretty quick. But I think in that period, I think most albums have got, have got a decent bit of material in them. But, um, mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like this all kind of come about because I mean the new metal ones out now. I did the grunge one as well, and again, I, I feel like yeah, they're they're hard genres to kind of pin down to to just find one good song. But you have to be a little bit, you got to be a little bit. Um, what's the word? Uh, yeah, controversial, 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 creative, fucking whatever. Um, so you know, uh, what. One I was thinking of was, uh, but then I was like, "This isn't a Britpop song, really." In the meantime, but by um, not the Long Peaks, by Space, Space Hulk, oh, which is what a great a tune. song. Yeah, it's a great song. Because I said that to, um, like, to. I think it. I think it's. It's yeah on the fringes. I think it, it does get included by a lot of people. Yeah, well, it's, they did it on TFI Friday. Yeah, uh, go. Yeah. It's kind of tied, but for me, it was it was it was more Brit rock. They were more of a yeah, Kerrang yeah. band than an NME band, say. So. You know. They were the uh, the the they were like Bush, weren't they? The second version of they Bush, were. Or big in America. Did you know? Was it was yeah, what was that? Um, that do you remember that Joaquin Phoenix film? Was it I'm Still Here? The one where he yeah where he reinvents himself as like the, you know yeah a genius. Um, you, you, the guy that the, the guy that takes a shit. Um, was it, uh, was it in his bed or something like that? You know the bit I'm talking about, Steve? I've seen this. I haven't seen. Are you making this up? No, I'm not making up. But it was a drummer out of Space Hog. Oh, really? There was a point to this. Yeah, that was the point. I'm not. I'm not just going off on a random fucking tangent. I don't think. Man, where he shits himself. Yeah, yeah. But it was that was a drummer out of Space Hog. All right. Anyway, good friend Ruth. Good trivia. Good trivia. There you go. Anyway, well, it's been 
fun times. You should call it. Uh, we've, we said this is going to be an hour, and we've ended up doing two hours and 20 minutes. So. I've enjoyed it, actually. I've enjoyed going, you know, having a bit of a chat. It's that often Good. I um, slag something off on Twitter, and I actually get called out by the person who wrote it and uh, get confronted. So it's good. I quite like it. Yeah, well, you know. Um, I'm not going to do uh, it. I'm not going to upset anybody on Twitter now for the next few couple of years. Well, <laughs> the thing, thing is, Just, most, most people most, ignore it, it, to be honest. James, most James, people... right. Next time you see an article, James, Rod, that winds you up, do yourself a favour. Ask oh. me first if I know the person that wrote it before you post yeah, it. Okay, that's you know all I'm going to ask, right? That's <laughs> all I'm going to ask. Okay. I, I, would, I tell you what, James, genuinely, I think if you, like, if I, I send it to Gaz every day, if I saw an article that said, you know, 20 reasons why bad brains are the shittest punk band ever or whatever then you know what i mean like fucking five reasons why public enemy are crap i just i would be like i don't need to see this i do not need to see this i've made my mind up and if you stop clicking on them they'll go away and if you start and if you start clicking on the pulp this is hardcores and the urban hymns of this world they will replenish themselves this is something which I just have to really fucking hammer home to people. When you're moaning about stuff on the internet, you're just facilitating more of it. And mm. I, I have a much nicer time writing, like going and watching old interviews with Jarvis Cocker and fucking listening to This Is Hardcore and, and getting down into the guts of that particular album way more than I do going, oh God, who are worse, gay dad or sleeper? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't necessarily <laughs> think that I want to do that. Gay dad. My life. Gay, gay dad. dad. He's gay dad. Yeah, definitely. But, um, uh, you know, but uh, I, I don't know, man, like the, the, those things. I, I suppose they're just, those lists are meant to be like reflections of things that people might chat about in the pub um which is sort of what this is and what kind of what this has been i imagine if we were if we'd met up before a gig or something and we'd had a conversation like think about those albums that that's what it would have been it's not really that deep but um if you keep clicking on them they'll fucking keep they'll keep coming up they'll keep there's a new metal one there's a bloody pop punk one coming well, in, in a few days time but, um <laughs> I mean, I disagree with some of them, mate. He picked that 2007 Corn album in that Gaz. That's got some fucking bangers on it. What's he on about? Who, did, who, who, did, who wrote this Merlin. article? Merlin. Merlin. Right. Yeah. Is it? Is it live? It's live now. I'm gonna have a look. I'll, I'll have a look. I'll, I'll, I'm gonna. I'm You'll gonna probably agree. You're on a podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you didn't. You didn't have to come. I did think. Would I wonder? I wonder if you'll come. But he's. But you're here. You're here. So it's good. Here, and mate. it's been good, man. It's you been mate, good. You, I th- you've given a really good account of yourself, James, mate. That's been. A lot of fun. Hear it. No, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been good fun, actually. Yeah, good luck. Yeah, lovely. All right, mate. Well, um, maybe we'll get you on to talk about albums that we actually really fucking like. Oh, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. There's a there's a thought. (laughs) (laughs) You want to talk about Cooler Shaker? You can. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Sorry, mate. You you, you're breaking up. I can't hear you. What? (laughs) All right. Nice one. Thanks very much, James. Um. Much appreciated. We will, uh, I'm sure, speak to you once again. But um, good luck. Do you want to give everyone the um, the handle if they want to follow you, if they want to see any kind of lovely Britpop nostalgia? See me on Twitter. My, my handle is at Britpop Memories. So yeah, please uh, please come and look me up. Thank you. Nice one. Thanks very much, mate. Speak to you soon. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Cheers, James. Take care. 
there you go. Good dude. See? It was a fun time. We had a lovely time. And um, hopefully James will come back on the show again. The, ir- the ironic uh, aftermath about this particular chat, Gaz, and you know this, mm-hmm. is that the next day, literally, was it the next day or was it two days later? Literally two or three days, days after yeah. we recorded that, a mate of mine who's a PR sent me the new album by Cooler Shaker. <laughs> which i couldn't fucking believe i haven't even thought about cooler shaker for forever and then he said yeah. the new shaker album. so i think Brilliant. you may well be hearing from james again because if we are going to review the new cooler shaker i think album, we should it I... shouldn't be me it shouldn't just be me and you no it? it shouldn't just be me and you no. it should be somebody who actually you know wants to like them has some emotional investments in said Definitely. band definitely so if you would like us to review the new cool shake album we can definitely do that uh but yeah it was uh it was a good time so um thanks very much to james for coming on it was um it was lovely to chat to you mate well well done for digging through the old kerangs as well and finding the one k of k yeah (laughs) (laughs) two two good old good oh sorry two k so yeah yeah good old jason arnup dude he gave that a right kick (laughs) in didn't he anyway um we'll be back next week so next week on the show uh i think we're going to do a big old catch-up there's lots of albums that have come out recently skin yeah. dread have got a new album coming out we should have said skin dread gonna be fucking headlining wembley arena skin dread have got a new album that's going to be coming out next week um uh or it's coming out this week actually as we speak there's mm-hmm. a new skin dread album um kylie ray jepson travis scott post malone um Dexies, not sure about can we do uh the apex twin ep Apex Twin, Mutoid Man, we'll probably stick a load of them in. Yeah, Mutoid um, Man, definitely. Oh. There's been a load of good stuff that's sort of coming out or has come out recently. So we'll just be catching up on all that. And uh, yeah, like I said, go over to patreon.com forward slash pop. Sign up for stuff there. Come in this Wednesday. You're going to be getting Purple by Stone Temple Pilots and Tomorrow Mad Villainy by Madlib and MF Doom. So that's it. See you next week, everyone. Goodbye. Love you, bye.